0: I cannot explain to you how genuinely upset I am that it didn't actually go five hours.
1: From the absurdly stranded submarines of cinema, this is the Uncut Gems Podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 19, and my name's Yaku. My name is Carson. My name's Nick.
2: I'm Jack. Uh, my name's Ewan.
1: Hi, how everyone's doing. Now, glad to have you with us. Last week we definitely broke some kind of a record, I think, as we discussed Darren Aronofsky's mother. And the uh, conversation took place over a whopping five hours. So, if you factor in the episode of the found- on the fountain we did the week before, you will have a full working day of listening to us slobber over Aronofsky's cinema. So, go and check this out when before, it, uh, because it's um, you know well worth your time and it's a lot of time. You could probably even rewatch all of his filmography as, uh, as you're listening as well, as a sort of running commentary. Like, I'm not even kidding. Shit got wild. Anyway, this week we're changing frequencies, hopefully. It's going to be a little bit shorter, but well, you never know. Uh, we're fre- changing frequencies almost completely and traveling back in time to talk about Steven Spielberg's 1941.
0: Fill her up, battle. It. it Was just a case of war nerves.
1: Two squadrons of right. Japanese
0: Zeroes. Japs tried to bomb San, San Francisco last night. Two squadrons of Jap Zeroes. I've been tracking him ever since. I
3: lost him somewhere over Fresno.
4: Well on the radio? That, that's not true about San Francisco. It was just a case of Warner's. Warners? And nerves?
1: Yeah. San Francisco. Who said Warners?
4: I, uh, yeah. I heard it on that radio there. <laughs>
1: Oh 1941 is probably best understood as a dense spider web of plot running gags and slapstick humor wrapped around a multiplex of sub stories about a Japanese submarine surfacing off the coast of California right after the infamous Pearl Harbor attacks which dragged America feet first into the fray of World War II. A pilot's attempt to seduce General Steelwell's uh, real person Um, Attractive assistant played by Nancy Allen, a tank crew led by Dan Aykroyd, a wild pilot on the hunt for Japanese infiltrators, that's the uh, John Belushi, a pair of nerdy scouts stuck at a Ferris wheel looking for the enemy and a dishwasher trying to impress a crush and win over her father's approval. And as you may imagine, chaos ensues. So, having wowed the world with Jaws and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg had pretty much a free reign to do as he pleased in Hollywood. So, he embarked upon this project without too many problems. However, this is an interesting tidbit, by the way. While he was making this movie, he appeared on on a radio show with Pauline Kael, who warned him that critics would eat him alive if the film was not up to the same standard as his previous two outings. So, the bar was high. Apparently the only uh, the the only massive issues during production involved trying to like cast the role of General Stillwell because apparently John Wayne and Charlton Heston turned him down with the former allegedly pointing out that the film which is a spoof about Pearl Harbor was an unpatriotic mess so but show must go on right so the production was lavish and off the chain with writers which was Zemeckis, Milius and Bob Gale Going all out on side gags, running jokes, actors improving profusely and making suggestions and changes like the shooting took like 247 days and apparently consumed 1 million feet of stock, which I did the conversions It's like 305 kilometers and 190 miles to just make it a little bit more palatable. The cast and crew was immense, and um, I may anger someone here. The production as a whole, at least the way I am seeing it now, resembled what I can only call the Congo of its time. <laughs> An absolute onset mayhem presided upon by the most prominent folks in Hollywood at the time. However, neither critics nor the audiences turned out for the film, at least initially. The film was panned for being too busy, too jazzy, too in-your-face, and um, too uh, too messy. So Siskel didn't like it, Ebert hated it, notably Kale, who foresaw all this, posit- gave the film a positive review. But so anyway, over time, the film built some kind of a cult following so much that Spiel- Spielberg was asked to, uh, by the studio to recut the film, Um because it was heavily edited for the theatrical release and re released it as a director's cut, um, initially on network CV and eventually on home video. Now it kind of resides kind of just beneath this sort of epidermis of recognition as a bona fide cult classic and um, as it is, has its apologists, but it really gets a mention as an underseen, underseen classic and one should definitely catch up with. Interestingly, Stanley Kubrick who allegedly egged on Spielberg to make this movie and even marketed it as a drama, famously summarized 1941 as great, but not funny. So here I am throwing this back at you. What do you think about 1941? Is it great? Is it funny? Is it both? Is it neither? What is your take on 1941?
0: I mean, it's no Jaws, is it, right? Like, this is not a great film. Um, I'd actually quite say, like, most of it is quite embarrassing. If you would have shown this film in Jaws to me and, like, without the context and just say it's from the same filmmaker, I'd be like, wow, he improves so much over time. No, he fucking went downgraded for this one. There's just no sense of craft or like vision or artistic style like at all it's just a chaotic mess of like throwing everything at the wall and there are some things that work i think like when the screenplay is trying to be a little bit more witty not necessarily like the slapstick humor but like the guy at the air force base being like i promise a bomb will never get dropped and then the, like the bomb drops like yeah that's that's quite funny it's quite smart um as some of the performances are fun but like overall yeah this is just like a chaotic mess that kubrick put nicely it's not fun it's not it's not a funny comedy and when you have 2 hours of just absolute slapstick and craziness it, it needs to be funny to work i will say though one of the best openings ever in cinema that jaws like parody was genuinely like a plus material but from there it just it very quickly went downhill for me
3: well i have a, a bit of history with this film because for some unknown reason, 1941 is one of the favorite films of my father. And he showed it to me back when I was, I think eight or nine. And even back then I didn't like this film. I thought it was too long, I thought it was boring. I was like, is this supposed to be a comedy? And I kind of forgot it even existed up until recently when you brought it up for the podcast. And he wanted to watch it again with me. And we discovered we actually saw the original DVD from the library and they only had the theatrical version, but then he bought the director's super collection, whatever, two discs. I was like, oh yeah, we can watch the director's cut. see how it is. It's rough. It's super, super rough. Um, There are long films and then there's 1941, which felt like four hours long, especially in this extended version. I wouldn't say it's a horrible film per se because I will will say there's there's some cool things about it I think like the miniature work is fantastic when the action is actually happening it's just glorious to see all of the money just burning on screen you can feel like someone writing checks for like explosions and the extras and the airplanes and whatever so that's fun but but everything else it's it's a movie that has no plot, basically. It has no narrative. It really has no characters as well. It's just caricatures, and not even in a fun way because you spend so little time with the actually interesting characters and so much time on this wasted love triangle, but not really with the dance and the kids as a dishwasher. I don't care, who cares about you? Let's go back to, to Toshiro Mifune and Christopher Lee in a Japanese submarine. That's way more interesting than anything else in this movie. Um, it's a mess, it's bloated, I agree with pretty much everything that Carson said
2: Well, I I think it's I didn't like it, but I do have some sort of, you know, I I see what he was doing, I'm glad he got it out of the system, because two years later he did Raiders of the Lost Ark but I I can sympathise with some of the comedy in it, it's very childish it's kind of like I don't know, it's a bit raunchy, it reminded me a bit of Carry On Camp and and all those films where it's kind of just like a little bit cheeky but it's just directed so weirdly. I mean this is Spielberg coming together with like Dashira Mifune and Christopher Lee and then he's not Christopher Lee, Christopher Yeah, it is Christopher Lee. Um there's so many great actors in this and it's kind of worrying that he couldn't get much more out of them. It's just sort of a film that peters out very quickly you know there's a nice bit in the canteen diner thing that's a nice satire where they're just sort of slapping things about and throwing eggs everywhere and stuff i thought that was quite funny but then it deteriorates really rapidly into just food and food fights and just the usual droll stuff that america was producing at the time for comedies and i think where it really falls apart for me is where it's just a a collaboration of you know saturday night live Set lists, you know, you've got John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd there leading to essentially. And they don't really do anything. They're, it's like Niccolo said, they're just caricatures. And they're, they're, there's a lot of comedy to be had with caricatures. You can do a lot with them, but it's it's worrying how little Spielberg does with them, especially since I think like Niccolo, I watched the director's cut, and it's two and a half hours is a a lot of time to do stuff with characters. And he, he doesn't do anything. It's it's very agonizingly long. I'm gonna
4: I'm gonna be quite restrained throughout this podcast. I'm gonna learn my lesson from previous weeks, but um, I, I, I detest this this film, and I detest it on like multiple levels. I remember the first time I like this was always like a film that was, it was always the last one of his filmography where I wanted to watch. I'm not I'm not a massive fan of Spielberg, um, specifically as of late, but I'm always sort of an admirer of his work purely for his impact on the canon and the zeitgeist. I think that that, that would be an argument I wouldn't I wouldn't really be able to have, but. This was always that film where I wanted to watch it, but it was always sort of a a cult classic and a following. And I always get sort of sweaty hands when that that, that sort of phrase is brought up on a on a on a really classical filmmaker's work because I always know it's going to be it's either going to be absolute horse shit, and it usually always is. I mean, th- this film's worse than that. But I remember I bought I bought it in America, and I did the same thing that Nicola did. Like it came with two discs, and I remember it was like the director's cut, and I always thought, well. I'm sort of an appreciation of the arts. I think we've got to be in this medium. So I'll always sort of put my emphasis on the director's vision. And to say that it's a mess is like an understatement. I think this is a disaster of all disasters on a cinematic level. Nothing works. I think it's borderline atrocious. And I think this has major ramifications to Spielberg because a lot of people, like Carson, when you opened, you mentioned Jaws. This comes after Close Encounters as well. This is not a director who's made, you know, one film and, and and got it right and then gone down this lane. He's made Jewel, this oh sorry, made Jewel Jaws and then Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then to pop it up
1: and Sugarland Express.
4: Yeah, yeah, Sugarland Express yeah, which is a film I think you should go back and make those type of uh, thematic genre pieces again rather than the actual shtick he's making now. But if anything, if this, this is a disaster, I think we everyone can mostly agree. I think the consensus for maybe Pauline Kale, um I think we, the consensus of this is a, a massive disaster. But I think this has, this has massive ramifications on his career. I think this film proves, and there might be a hot take, but I think this proves that Spielberg is one note. I think he's a one, I think he's a journeyman. He's one note and he has absolutely no cinematic range whatsoever. Now, I think... When when Ewan brought up Raiders, that's an interesting one, but it more so comes off a success of Lucas as well. I I, I don't want to just blame, give Spielberg the high success of Indiana Jones. I don't think that that's his brainchild at all. I think he's the trigger man, yeah. But I think it's 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 Spielberg. Sorry, it's Lucas who really concocts everything yeah, um, with with those films, especially the the, the trilogy as a whole. But um, yeah I think this just proves that Spielberg to me is not the director he thinks he is I think he he's, he never really strays outside of the um, his comfort circle I remember when Hairspray was meant to be remade the John John um, Waters thing he he wanted to do it and he couldn't bring himself to do it and I think I remember reading like um, a Total Film article I know, 2007 where he said that the, the musical was the one that was escaping and he always wanted to do it and he's doing it now at West Side Store and I think that might also show that he's perhaps, well, to be fair, that film showcases it. He, he understands scope, he understands scene blocking. Like Ready Player One's quite good for, for its composition, but it's more so like visual effects. You can do that months in advance, years, years in advance. I don't think he'll have a, have a tired and tested time with West Side Story, but I don't think he's ever made something like this, this 1941. I don't think he ever will again. I and mean, it proves that he's so one note unbelievable. I mean, this film's absolute shite to
1: put it frankly oh wow okay well that's some strong words for to to open up with anyway um so um so i don't have a history of this one in in fact this was this is a rare example on this podcast where this is the first time i've seen this this was my first time with 1941 and i i will say that kind of like Nicola, i remember my father liking this film and it was kind of like he had it taped off the tv and he would kind of watch it kind of every now and again but i never paid attention to it i kind of remember some scenes kind of just on the tv when he would be watching this and i never kind of just bothered to sit down and watch it with him so i didn't yeah and um so i i don't quite didn't quite know what to expect from it so i kind of just went went in and I thought I had two um, two cuts on the Blu-ray because I have the box set with the uh, the, the Spielberg box set with um, always um, Sugarland Express and like, Jaws Jurassic Park and whatever. And I thought yeah, I had both, but I'm, I, I put the Blu-ray on and actually said, just shows me the theatrical cut. And I think only only has deleted scenes on it, um, which which is not the same as watching the director's cut. But but then again, I thought, okay, I thought to myself, okay, I watch it. I watch it the way the audiences in 1979 would have watched it. And um, when the film opens with this spoof of Jaws, I was like, okay, I think I know where, I'm, where this is going. I think I, think I, I think I have an idea of how to kind of retune my frequencies in here to, to sort of to get, to, to get the best out of this. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> this, I, I think, I can't remember who, who said this. I think Carson, you said this. I mean, it's not Jaws. It's not Close Encounters. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not his best work. It's far from it. But when it sings, it it sings. Like there are moments in this when I was absolutely in stitches. Like there are scenes in here that are genuinely funny to me. But the night, the the one hour and 58 minutes that was the theatrical cut, you actually feel the, the one hour and 58 minutes. It's very long. It's very, and it kind of just gets progressively like louder and gets progressively just more sort of in your face. And it's almost like I I I get why Ebert hated it. Like, I I, I think he was just sitting in the, in the cinema. I was like, why am why am I here? Like, like the last 30 minutes is just very difficult to sit through. So I kind of get I kind of get where everyone's kind of coming from. And then but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of like I'm watching this and I'm in awe of the fact that it actually got made because it's you can see that there's a, such an amount of money behind this like there's this, these massive set pieces there's miniatures there's special effects there's these there's a cast that has like 50 or 60 people and then you know, and then there's people who actually didn't end up in the film. Like John Wayne was approached, and then Charlton Heston was approached, and then you have Christopher Lee, you have Toshiro Mifune, you have all sorts of people from. And by the way, like John Belushi and Dana I don't think they even exchange a line in the in the theatrical cut. So they're 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 kind of almost kept apart. And then and then there's it's just shuffles between scenes, and and you just have to kind of just say, okay, well, I'm, it's kind of like trying to understand. I don't know. I felt the way like Christopher Nolan wanted me to, to, to get to it. Just don't try to just sit down and just let it wash over you. I think that's that's the best way to kind of just get it because it's just like if you try to kind of just follow this, you'll, you'll just probably be like annoyed. I mean, it's not difficult to follow, but you'll be annoyed. So I was kind of half annoyed. And then ev- eventually, like every now and again, like the airport sequence, the uh, the initial op- opening sequence, the, the, there's, there's a few sequences on the submarine that are just downright hilarious to me. So it kind of just punctuates. This horribleness with, with beautiful scenes of just comedy that I think happened despite Spielberg because i yeah I, so so yeah, so i'm I'm kind of mixed on this as in i like I like it really a lot when it sings, and I really hate the rest of it. let's put it this way, but then, like Jack, you mentioned a few i mean I want to kind of just lead with something else, but I think you you mentioned this um uh in your opening gambit with. By mentioning that you think that you know, say Spielberg is a one-note director, and then he's a journeyman. I think it's probably a correct assessment to say that he's a journeyman. He's 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 a, he's a man who shows up on set. He gets shit done. Uh, he knows how to make a movie, and then uh, but then here's a question. Um, I don't, his filmography is not exactly one note, uh, as in like because you could see that there is like there are films that are kind of just carry some of the DNA that he has in 1941. So like Catch Me If You Can has these moments like there are moments in Minority Report that are kind of like slapsticky as well. So he kind of has this sort of in him is just, just a little bit that kind of comes out every now and again. And this is the only time in his career that they came out in full. So I I kind of like to gauge your opinion on this, on, as in like how does this fit? in the filmography of someone who made Jaws, made Close Encounters, and then later on went on to make Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Minority Report, like Ready Player One, maybe Ready Player One is probably close in spirit to it, but say like The the Post or something like this, like these sort of heady sort of dramas that are sort of prestige oriented. And there's this one film in this filmography that's just kind of like sticking out like a sore thumb. So how does it fit? Especially when you think, and this came out after Close Encounters, which was a massive success. I think the biggest success Columbia ever had at the time. And then before Raiders, which, you know, it is what it is, right? It's it's an icon in its own right. So how does it feel? How how does it feel? Like, do you agree with what Jack basically said? That, that Spielberg is a journey, journeyman, sort of one-note director? Or um, is does he have something else up his sleeve? And then does this one prove this or not? What do you guys think?
3: I I wouldn't say that he's a particularly one note director, Um, but honestly, similar to what Jack I think said, I I don't love him. Like I was looking back at his filmography and there's a lot of movies that I do love, but I never find myself saying, oh, you know, was one of my favorite filmmakers, Steven Spielberg, which is interesting. Um, But speaking of 1941 in context with his career and everything, I would just say that he's not that good at comedy. I think he's very good at having like snippets of humor here and there, but again, I was looking at what classifies as a comedy in his filmography and you have the Terminal, which is like borderline a comedy, and then Hook.
1: It catch me if <laughs> you can, it's kind of like that, right?
3: Yeah, but it's again, it's it's more of a balance between the drama and the comedy and I think that's the main problem with this one. This is a farce.
1: But this I didn't is just... like the Terminal by the way. The Terminal is kind of like, I don't know. Me, the, I because it once the two when films, I was a
4: kid. The, the two films Nick mentioned, both Bombed massive, yes. himself.
1: correct. Yeah,
4: I, I really like the terminal, I it really should.
1: do. I don't and know, doesn't... I don't yeah. know. kind of rubbed <laughs> me the wrong way.
0: I don't oh, know. <laughs> That's just, just a person just who loved work, Congo. But...
1: Um,
3: yeah, you
0: know, I, I think that with this Spielberg, I don't agree at all that he's a one note director, but I do agree he's not great at comedy, and specifically, here it proves he's horrible at parody. <clears throat> That's the main thing here is that he's not trying just like be comedic. He's specifically trying to satirize the American government, the war, you know, times and the thoughts of war and war nerves. Like he's very clearly trying to give a parody, and it's just not good. Like I I, I don't like SNL, and I think the writing on SNL is still better than this shit. Like it's just not funny. It's not good, and it doesn't work that well as a parody. Like you don't get this strong message from it. It's just it's not. It doesn't accomplish any goal that parody is supposed to have or satirization. So I think it proves like he is horrible in this department. I think he has those moments of comedy in other films, and like even Ready Player One. I find it very strange that you said that that is very like on a soul similar to this film, because I completely disagree with that. But like that has some fun moments that really does work. Um, yeah, I just I think this proves mainly he's bad at parody. But overall, what I see is a one note director I mean, no. You can look at, you know, this guy made Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and Bridge of Spies and Ready Player One and the BFG. Even you could say, and like, they're all very
4: different films. And, and I think he accomplishes not, different though. things. What was that? Thema- themat- so thematically, that man cannot evolve. Like, he, oh, he, well, he sure. Has, he what has mean? a. It's just on. like, but he he has a turn and he paints it with gloss, and then he paints another coat on it all the time. It's not necessarily like when I say he's a one note. I mean that. When I look at Spielberg's filmography and I'm talking about everything, there's not one film in there that feels slightly off kilter where he's running a risk aside from this. But it's so bad. It's unbelievable. But this, is, this is such a, a, a distraction and such a different avenue from what he's done. I, I can almost consider the fact that, well, you know, I, I think it may be quite brave, and, uh, brave of him uh, thematically and, and somewhat as a genre piece to do this. But I think that this has scared him so much. He's never wanted to dip. His, ironically, ever want to dip his water. Uh, sorry, his toes in, in the water ever again. I mean, when every time he gets into something where you think, right, this is Spielberg doing something new. One example is AI. AI is such an interesting film. Never, never, never mind the, wow. the actual production history. Well, which is a, of all, is all is things, AI is, a is kind of film. very
1: much in his wheelhouse. It's a Pinocchio story. Yeah, but my, story. My, my
4: point is, it's a lot darker than his wheelhouse. Like, let, let's. We have to take Schindler's List out the the, the example here because Schindler's List is the most harrowing film he will ever make, but it's based on actual fact. So <clears throat> you, you can almost you can almost dictate the fact that he has to make it with a reality base, because right, he has no other option. So let's take that out the out the out the equation. If you look at AI, AI is his most darkest film, uh, in my opinion. I think you could argue that some, something else is uh, I, I don't doubt it. AI empire
1: Empire of the sun the color purple like they're all kind of like dour in a way
4: yeah but i I think yeah to be fair but i I think that the color purple's got its own issues in in the 21st century as well It might be interesting to talk about that i suppose but when i look at ai i see a director trying to not necessarily change his his um thematics but he wants to sort of engage in a darker hemisphere like when people talk about Poltergeist, the, the Toby Hooper thing, you know that that's that's meant to have been an ET, you know, allegedly meant to be like an ET, a darker script. And then we went into like him going into a darker route of let's make a horror film. He 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 allegedly is behind the camera. which I, I think is absolute a disgrace. I think has on been to,
1: debunked by people who yeah, are. Yeah, it's on set. a disgrace
4: on to, on the late to, Toby Hooper's name as well. Yeah. I think, in my, in my opinion, but you know, anyway, have you
1: have you ever listened to? Um, uh, i was there too podcast no the, 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 i mean I'm, I'm not sure if it's still running but the guy had people who were like extras on set on like massive films like i don't know like he had the woman who was on a bus on, in speed or things like that and he he had a guy who was who was an extra on the poltergeist he asked him the same question he's like was spielberg involved and he's like no toby hooper was basically just running the show spielberg was kind of just there sometimes yes so, yeah, it's like the, really
4: it's like the with either vendetta i know that like, it's the same thing where you look at James McTeague and you look at Ninja Assassin and then whatever he did with Mila Jovovich and Pierce Brosnan, you know, you, there's definitely like a, a drastic difference of of, of production value. Then you can argue, well, did they shadow direct it? No, I just think they were heavily involved with the producing. I think that's what Spielberg is. Uh, I yeah, he, I mean, man, it,
1: it, there's no no shame in like looking up to the man and saying like, well, I want to yeah. kind of direct direct this the way he would have done this. Like, it's no shame in taking inspiration. That's fine.
4: Well I just think that well again, back to the point though, I think that I think AI is definitely a film that pushes the boundaries of, of spielberg's oh, Spielberg's own not not hearts and desires but his warrant for pushing the darkness level and I think it's a film that he gets he gets burnt on, and in every single time it happens, he retracts and returns to this really shticker father and son dynamic that before long becomes so obsolete and boring it, it just it just obscures this whole
1: intent kind of to like make that. something interesting it's a Pinocchio story about a father and son like it's yeah, kind but, of that it's kind of exactly that no
4: exactly but I if that's what you want to do okay fair enough but if, if, if you want me to consider you a don't be right I think the formulation of cinema I think he's in the Zach guess with Jaws I think he's made inspirational and historically um, important films within the canon of a film but I don't think Spielberg should be referred to as the almighty as that he is. Spielberg ha- has made multiple issues on his films. I mean, you can, you can argue um, King of the Crystal School, you can argue multiple films that he's, he's bombed in. He's, he produces loads of stuff. He produces fucking Transformers series. Like, he produced Need for Speed <coughs> and then drastically took his name off when he saw a final cut. Like, yeah. We're talking about a, a filmmaker here that is, refer- is revered to a standard that I don't really think is warranted. Now, I'm not trying to say that I would would justify it with someone else in that that realm. I just think that when you look at 1941, it's very much like Tarantino in the sense that you have to. If you make a film that's your child, you have to look love it. You have to look after it. If you have a bad experience on it, then fair enough. But if you're the if it's your brainchild and you you disregard it, I think that more foul on you. And when you look at something like um, 1941 own up to it you you were you i don't know necessarily if this is an ego trip i wouldn't i, I would find that really difficult to argue for because this is a director who just wanted to make something interesting and his eyes he wanted to make a musical that was obscure of the drama and he took the latter than the former probably a misstep in his own his own eyes and in a different world if it was a musical i think it would be probably be more beneficial because it's it's farcical like it's satirical it's farcical it's parody um it has two comedic actors in there it has as the drama pieces are supporting it, it works as more of a of a farce. But it's also laser. It's it's obtuse with its running length. There's so much here that would... I like um, what, just um, for the record, like, did
1: you watch the r- theatrical or directors?
4: Directors. I, I won't watch theatrical cut.
1: Okay.
4: I, I, it's a disaster regardless. I'm not going to sit through and watch that piece of shit. I've, I've had to watch whatever you've envisioned. No offence. whoever mm-hmm. Maybe listening. But it's like what Carson said, this is no Jaws. But my, my point goes back. It's that there's th- not just a fledging opportunity to make something interesting. He's made three relatively very strong films, which is Jewel, Jaws, and Close. Sugarland's his first bomb. Let, let's put out that it is. Although I do actually quite like that film. But when Jewel you look, it was at this, kind of
1: a sleeper hit as well. Like this wasn't a like, like this. Like you, this this put him on a map. Kind of, it was a TV movie.
4: Yeah, yeah, but Jaws, as you said, Jewel was the one that was like, look, this kid's interesting, and Jaws was like, look, they, 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 he's he's not a kid anymore, he's a man. But I, I think, but back to the point, I just, this is a director made all the wrong choices, and I, I I look at that as a cinematic level. That happens in life, but to the level of this, it's like outrageous, like every single thing here, cinematically, it's it, it's horrific to look at. It's, there's a lot of miniature work I appreciated, and I think it's interesting, he has a really, I think the well-rounded um, all-star cast, like um, Mifune's in it, you know, Christopher Lee. It's 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 interesting, but it, it, it it's 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 yeah, diabolical he, in the same breath. But but my my overall point. okay. you want to interrupt me a lot today, you don't yeah? But I was just no. saying I have my, to kind my, of
1: punctuate it somehow, so so that you know, no, no so you're, you're not enough. there all my, by yourself.
4: <laughs> yeah, but my my just my overall point is: any time Spielberg has one ounce of interest in a property that's not necessarily in his in his in his circle of influence, he falters. He's a director that takes no chances. And this is the prime example of it. Like this could have been the musical and whoever is the detractors that are saying otherwise, he didn't go with his gut instinct. And as a filmmaker, if you're not going with your gut instinct, what are you doing there? Like you, this, this is an exercise, and ex, an experiment. And it's, yes, it's, it's for millions of dollars, but that's what a film is, it's an experiment. You know, the film is made in the edit room, is it made with the performances you cast? Is it made on your direction? It's an experiment. It's an analytical form where you can express and you can you can criticize constructively anywhere. But it just reminds me of the old boy scenario when it was meant to be remade and he was meant to do it with Will Smith. And he and he couldn't do it. And I think at every single chance he's had to get out of the same old shit path and to make something just that's just modicoddled infuriatingly um dull. At times, I think the terminal is so. I'm trying to think of a word that's not that's not derogatory, but he's just that the word is so passive as a filmmaker with most of his work, like Catch Me If You Can, it just feels passive. The Terminal is passive. The Post, what what, what could have been One of the most influential films of its time. He's a people
1: pleaser. Like, yeah, but it's but that's boring. I don't want a people pleaser. You know, that's fair enough. I don't.
4: Do it's like it's just the same old shit with Spielberg, where it's like oh my God, have you seen this? Like he made BFG. It's like, oh, why is Spielberg making the BFG? Why is Spielberg remaking West Side Story? This this is a man who was proposed to be a, a, a filmmaker that could create vast stories with scope and some form of like family dynamic. And if you said that to me in 1975, and I'm now in 2021, nothing has changed. And to me, I find that the most disappointing aspect of his career is that he's never pushed the boat. And 1941 is the only opportunity he's done it. He got stung, not particularly bad, because he then fucked off and made a a film of his best mate that that spawned uh, a subgenre of its own. I I just think... I'm in two minds. One, own up to your mistake and live with it. And secondly, don't be defined by it, though. And that's what he has. It's the first film that faltered his fledgling career, in my opinion.
3: Well, something that's interesting,
4: like I would say
3: that Spielberg is an incredibly confident filmmaker, but also is an incredibly insecure person. And I read the book *Easy Riders, Raging Bulls*, which basically analyzes the entire. 60s and late 60s and all of the 70s of cinema and follows basically almost as a more interesting biography all of the key players including Spielberg and that's something that comes across really well like he was a nerd he wasn't socializing a lot with people and the success of Jaws just made him like women were falling over him everyone wanted a piece of him and that got to his head and if it's possible I can read a quote from Spielberg from the 90s where he talks about 1941 which is not too long actually. But it starts off by saying, we would have been better off with $10 million or less because we went from one plot to seven subplots. But at the time I wanted it, the bigness, the power, hundreds of people at my back and call, millions of dollars at my disposal, and everybody saying, yes, yes, yes. Power can go right to the head. I felt immortal after a critical hit and two box office hits one being the biggest hit in history up to that moment. But 1941 was not a screw you film. I can do anything I want, watch me fail upward. I was very indulgent on 1941, simply because I was insecure with the material. It wasn't making me laugh or any of us laugh, either in dailies or on the set. So I shot that movie everywhere I knew how to try to save it from what I thought it actually became, which is a demolition derby. And I think it's interesting thinking of other filmmakers like, you know, Brian De Palma, Coppola, Lucas Scorsese from that era, who have made bombs all around the same time, but they defend them in one way or another. Even something like New York, New York, um, whatever Coppola made after Apocalypse Now, like One from the Heart. They, they loved these movies. They really did. And then you the hear- Rumblefish- uh maybe yeah it's possible yeah yeah maybe 1980 but but yeah like wonderful like movies that you can like or dislike they definitely bombed at the time and then you get spielberg who's pretty much only major bomb in his entire career was this and you can just feel him like this this interview was like 20 years after the movie came out and you can still feel that he's like nah i'm not feeling it which is weird considering they made a director's cut
1: which the film wasn't a bomb i don't think uh, it, it was. F- I think it was. Um, I think it was financially successful, but I think it was kind of like a force of inertia because, like Spielberg made like Close Encounters and Jaws, and people turned up. But, yeah, it was yeah. quote
4: unquote a moderate success.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but then it made. I mean, it made money, but it made nowhere near as 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 much as Spielberg should have made based on Jaws and Close Encounters. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. My, 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 just to uh, speak on Nick. I think it's interesting you bring those two films by their filmmakers but those two films different to this are, are very personal to those filmmakers. So it's, it's interesting when we we put those, because perhaps, perhaps it, it, he's not necessarily so defensive of this property because it doesn't mean much to him. What that mean? what that means. I don't know why take it on then. That, that, that would be my, my only comment. Please continue to applaud us. Yeah. Why would
0: no. he, he doesn't like this film and even filming it. Like, why would he make this? He was on top of the world with jaws, close encounters to your credit. Also like, he didn't need to make 1941. Like I just, it, that speaks, I think, to him as a filmmaker quite a bit. That he just shot this thing. It was bad on set. He knew it was bad, and he was just like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna go through with it," and then just release
1: it. And oh well. Like, my, yeah. I, I mean, think, my my own. Only... Hold... Uh, just, oh, what just, to, just hold on. Go on then. Yeah, I I will be heard. <laughs> no, it's just uh, just to come back will. to your recent conversation on on Army of the Dead, was uh, I think uh, I can't remember if Paul brought it up um the idea of like this sort of movement rising up of people saying like films like this show that uh, sort of directors shouldn't be uh, be given full creative control. This is kind of an example of that because no mm-hmm. one could, could stand up to him, right? Like he he was he was the he was the director at the time, right? No one could say no to him because I don't know he was he, he was just basking in his own glory. So I suppose that that's part of the thing that this is what happens when you when when no one really has the balls to say yeah, Steve, that's not working. And then we should change this. When people were just like quietly nodding along as the as the sort of unfunny sort of comedy was slowly taking shape.
3: Yeah, that's something that even John Milius is interviewed and he says, he, he co-wrote, he didn't get screenplay credit, but he got like a story credit, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. And he said that's something that he hated about working with with someone who was his friend back then. He was a big friend of Steven Spielberg and knew him when he was growing up. And he says that someone like Coppola was like, no, 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 I don't like what you're doing. Just fix it, be better while they were working on Apocalypse Now. And then Spielberg instead was like, no, no, okay, yeah, no, this this is fine. What What you made is fine. And then he just went to other two screenwriters that Milius didn't know even existed to try and change things up. And I do believe like if I have to say, what's the worst thing of this movie? It's the screenplay. I think it's horrendous. What's the, there's no story. There's like, like he said, seven subplots. I can't, I cared about like, two maybe and that's more because of the actors like the Japanese uh, submarine I cared about that because it was also like the most serious one it was less kooky even though there's the American prisoner that they get it was a bit uh, oh but... come on, we'll
1: get there but but then there's a, there's a question to be asked what how much of what you see on screen was in the script how much was ad-libbed how much was improved by like John Belushi how, how much was suggested by the SNL guys on set like, yeah, this, like, this kind of looks like it doesn't have a co- coherent vision. You wouldn't, I, I don't know, do you want to chip in because you,
2: you've been just sitting there? I think, I mean, it's a lot to unpack. I just want to go back to what Jack said quickly about the Journeyman comment. I do think that's quite true because if you look at a lot of Spielberg's films, there's always a groundwork in place for him to go to. If you look at Jaws, if you look at The Post... Uh, uh, sorry, If you yeah, if you look at Jaws, if you look at The Post, if you look at sort of like... Jurassic Park these are adaptations of books if you look at something like Link and Bridge of Spies this is based on true events there's always something like guiding him through it's almost as if he's being handheld if you look at the Indiana Jones films as Jack pointed out it was with George Lucas he's never really had a film that was solely him and I know he wrote Close Encounters I think. yeah Close Encounters he wrote and he should have seen that that was a success and it's a very good film and I, I, I just uh, it's always puzzled me why he shied away from the whole writing and directing side of things because he can clearly do it but I think it's maybe 1941 was his sort of attempt to make something that felt like his project solely. Because at that point he'd done Duel, which was great, great film. And then he'd done Jaws and then he'd done Sugarland, and then he'd done uh, Close Encounters. But there was never anything that felt really like his film. It never felt quite like he'd gotten a film that just felt like his. And when he did 1941, I assume that was what he intended to do. I assume that's why there's a director's cut, which is two and a half hours long um i don't know i think it's i i, I do think the casting has a a, a definite sort of shake-up of what happened there i do think there was a script and i do think it had a lot of jokes but knowing dan akroyd well, not personally i don't know him personally but knowing of what he <laughs> does dan akroyd and especially john belushi these are people that can sort of riff they can improvise they can do a lot of stuff like that and that's inevitably going to change the course of a script now it's not going to have any effect on the shit jokes elsewhere like there's that bit at the start in the plane i don't even like the the he's like oh i'm a pilot and then they go on to the plane and the bomb rolls and explodes and It's like all right that's cool that's funny it's <laughs> is it right it's one of the few funny moments in the film no
1: but it's man. funny especially when <laughs> when they're, when they're back trying to bang in the in the plane <laughs>
2: <laughs> the funniest part of that film was the guy that had the tap dancing mat and he would bring it with him, and he would just put it down, yeah. start tap dancing. It's stuff like that, and I understand the direction he's going, well, he's trying to go down. It's kind of, I mean, there's a very big difference between spoof and satire. You can't spoof Pearl Harbor, but he's given it a go. God bless him, he's tried. I mean, he's and doing I think, both. I mean, yeah, go, go, and go, I, go. I don't think there's many films that can blur spoof and satire. Definitely not 1941. I don't think that blend really works because spoof's a very different thing to satire. Satire is sort of taking jabs for a reason, there's loads of patriotism jokes throughout uh, there's the bit where Dan Aykroyd says oh we'd like to put a, a, a an artillery rifle on your lawn it's like oh they want to put an artillery rifle on my lawn fantastic that stuff would work on paper and I think under a different director with a bit of a clearer vision it would work really well it's a fantastic joke but it doesn't get there because either Dan Aykroyd and John Candy are improvising or Spielberg doesn't really know what to do with it and I do think that's a very pertinent issue throughout the film I just think he's throwing bits in like the opening of the film, that Jaws gag was great, and then the submarine starts going down again, and the woman's grabbing hold of the submarine, and the guy just starts yelling Hollywood, and I have no idea why. I, I don't I don't get it. But again, it's that naked. Sort of, right. That's what that's what it is. It's just
1: naked women how does that equal hollywood Jakob? no that's <laughs> playing the joke no, that's, to me. that's the sort of spoof idea or that's the sort of surface level understanding of someone who's not from americans like that's what it's synonymous to um outsiders of like yeah it's just se- sex drugs rock and roll whatever can we briefly talk about close encounters because I, I think I just, like, hold on like, before i wanted to kind of just quickly just move because you and touched on, on something in, interesting with the sort of spoof and satire I just wanted to kind of quickly dig into this woman. and then we can move on um, yeah, yeah um there is an interesting sort of wrinkle to this because I think I'm I'm watching this and now I'm trying to analyze this and try to, I don't want to say play devil's advocate, but I try to kind of just rationalize what's happening in here. And I think, well, you're right. It's, uh, it's very difficult to satirize something like Pearl Harbor because it's, well, hey, hey, in 1979, that was how many years? 38 years after the fact. Like, like people who, like John Wayne, who were sort of like adults at the time when this happened were kind of like, now it's too early, right? But what he's I think what he's trying to do, I think, involves a little bit more of an understanding of of the history of the time, because after the uh, Pearl Harbor attacks, um, America was in I don't want to say a state of shock. And it wasn't a state of shock, but the sort of frenzy and panic happened in there. Like people were actively thinking like the Japanese are on our shores. There's people like people were reporting things that never happened, like there's bombing that happened that never happened that, you know, like they're sending balloons over, there's submarines, I mean, there was a submarine surface and shelled like an ref- oil refinery, right? And then there were, there were situations where people, where people were just firing artillery shells at, at clouds out of fear. Like this, th- th- this was kind of real when, like this actually ended up in a very sort of sad and tragic situation where this sort of panic ended up, ended up with people, massive policy changes, as in um, the uh, Western uh, Defense Command ordering an internment of everybody who's even vaguely Japanese looking into concentration camps like that shit happened right as a result of this so also panic, just like right? the atomic
0: bombing of Japan killing like millions of civilians no that's like
1: 19, f- 1941 that was sort of in in, in that time when people who are just like American like second generation Americans who had like Japanese grandparents like all of a sudden like just your government shows up on your doorstep like you look Japanese to me you're like half Japanese in the camp you go like this happened like as a result of this sort of massive sort of Mm -hmm. nation-scale overreaction. And I think this kind of uh, tries to encapsulate this sort of mess that happened and try to spoof it which is probably no. a mistake to, to spoof it because you're giving this film away too much credit there
0: yeah no you're i'm not trying to i'm not giving it a credit I'm no trying... i mean i agree with yakub i think it yeah. tries to i think like, yeah it flawed, succeeds, even in concept like it's yeah. absolutely i would say disgusting like yeah, was trying to paint it, the military it, that yes. kills like that did all that as like goofs it's like making a film about nazis and be like oh slapstick comedy like it's not funny it's not no good. But,
1: like when you think about this they, they, there's a guy in, in the general stillwell that's a real person right Mm-hmm. Who, who was a uh, general who was um, I think he witnessed like the rape of Nanking he was he was like in charge of the sort of Chinese operations in World War II so he was leading the allied co- Allied command in uh, regaining parts of China from Japanese occupation and he was an, like, a bona fide tough guy like he was like the Douglas MacArthur sort of sort, sort of dude like he was the, the sort of John Wayne in real life like he was you know a pure machismo encased in human body right and he's a guy who watches Dumbo and mouths the words as it goes like he clearly just he loves Dumbo and he just eats popcorn like they, they try to kind of just like make fun of these sort of people because he also kind of was I think in charge of the sort of western command he was one of these people who were um, trying to convince people that you know, like, oh, the tomato plants are pointing that way, so that means the Japanese people are co- try co- try to try, trying to communicate, or whatever. Like, th- th- there was shit like this happening, and there was just he was part of this. So I think he, there is an attempt at trying to satirize this sort of overreaction, which may have been a little bit un- distasteful, put it this way. And then, I yeah, it clearly didn't work because people who were doing this maybe maybe were doing this. Um, I don't know, maybe approaching it from a wrong angle, or maybe they didn't quite know what they were doing. And uh, from what Nick, you just said, from a quoting from Spielberg himself, he clearly had no idea what he was doing. And I don't think Bob Zemeckis, who helped write the script as well, knew what he was doing, because you know, we all know how he writes. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's, all, that's all I wanted to say about I the, think uh, wh- when Ewan, thanks for the, the only northern in the room
4: to stick up for me, but I think Ewan brings a really good point up with Close Encounters of the film he wrote. now it may be a long time since anyone's seen this film. I imagine well, it, it, it's, it's good in its own right, fair enough, but it's, it's aged. The one, the one thing thematically that's incorrect with that film, it's its ending, is that throughout the film, you're talking about a father who's look, trying to look after his, after his children and his wife, boards that aircraft. He boards that, 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 that UFO and he leaves, and he leaves his fucking family to rot on planet Earth, right? That's never been caught out by Spielberg since he's always rectified his mistakes with the father and the son Thematically or contextually, is always, always um, uh, an accurate portrayal, portrayal, or it's it's never sort of sacrificed within within the the, uh, the film itself. It's the only time where he's, he's written a film where he, he's undermined his own thematic. And I how, think,
1: hold on, how is he undermining it?
4: Because it's, because his whole shtick, Jacob, is that the, the the family dynamic, the father and the son, or, or the like. Look at War of the Worlds. Yeah, I
1: think you're just incorrect because I think he's just trying to... I don't think to... so. Yeah, because I think he's writing about his father leaving him.
4: Well, no. I I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would never give it the isn't, benefit isn't, the wasn't
1: of Wasn't he on record for saying for doing this? Niccolo, please chime in. Uh, yeah, maybe after yes. the fact. It...
4: Right, that's that's fair enough. If that's if that's the subtext you want to analyse, although that's what Spielberg does for it, the film, it still doesn't make sense uh, looking at the context of that film because that is a man that is that looks after his family, and is taken over by what what then is been lost by or, or or enthusiasm for for something else that comes down and takes him that he actively goes and then and, and is taken away. That then contradicts. The, the, it's all thematic though, because it's not someone who just leaves and, and, and leaves one day. It's someone who who's looking after his family. Like it's it's it's, it's a connotation of a film that doesn't work. Like your ana- analysis might might well be true but it doesn't match the portrayal in the film at all. Because you're talking about suddenly a character engulfed by something, takes his family with him. Like, okay, like, so what we are trying to have a chat here? And then no, the I last think... two minutes just fucks off. Like, it but... still undermines the writing, never, never mind. No, I mean, my, my, just... my point is, is that it's the only time where like, he's, he's, he's quite clearly not known where to take his character in his finale. Like, he, he writes in a, in a way, but he doesn't know how to finish that full stop. I and think you like, incorrect, Engulfs that problem. No, he doesn't uh, really want to stop. And it's, no. just, that, it's just classic Spielberg. Like, I'll just keep on going. I'll, I'll make sure this, that it works. It doesn't. Sometimes it turd's a turd. Like, sorry, but if you're going to do a director's cut, it's two and a half hours long, which ironically oh, enough... Hold in, on.
1: Close Encounters or 1941? Because now you're just kind of frogging No, no, 1941. Okay.
4: Like, bear in mind, this is the same director who in the director's cut took John Landis out because he fell out with him in 1983. And then in the Blu-ray, put him fucking back in. Let, let, let's get this clarified. Yes, He's not he a did. man. Yes,
1: yes, true. Yes.
4: Yeah, let, yeah, yeah. I, I, thank you. I, this, this is not <laughs> a person that we have I, to
1: refer to a, as
4: someone who is an almighty and touchable um, manifestation of purity in Hollywood. This man owns more go- guns in the fucking West Coast than probably anyone else, which, which is quoting Shia LaBeouf, like, Let's get this quite right. There's, 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 they're showcasing an audience. It's almost propaganda. Like, it is, it's more more emotional... Personification of 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 showcasing. We talk about what Nick said about showcasing your insecurities. That Spielberg is trying to cure as a person. He's trying to showcase or or convince the world he's a he's a Puritan in one more one way but in in the, in the context of um, of, an, of an American. Let's say perfect family. You know he, he 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 never knocks anything that should be knocked by the Puritan scale. Well, the Puritanical standard I mean, of america i mean like, in, he's, he's in, 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 in his personal
1: life or is an artistic life both
4: i think i think those for a long time people have looked at spielberg to be not necessarily a soft filmmaker but someone who will never cut corners touch the ticks with with the motion he'll always have a good family story it'll be fun it'll be an exercise in, a, in an adventure but when you look at it and you look at him as a character it's almost like it's scapegoating the issues he's got possibly as a person I don't know him. Uh, you and Mike, because he, he knows Dan Akron and John Belushi, but I, I, don't, I don't know Spielberg. So I, this, is, this might be coming out of my ass, but I'll, I'll take that as, as, as fool's gold. My point is that I feel like his filmography is trying to showcase that he wants to show a, a purity of, of what he establishes himself as. That's fair enough. But it's like, uh, you know, we, we can do it three or four times, but when you've done it 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 25 times, it's boring. My, my point with 1941 is it's like we, we talked about him as a as a screenwriter, not knowing where to put the full stop. And your analysis might very well be true. But for me, I, I find that it undermines that character and the overall message of that film.
1: I mean, just to just to put this to bed, it doesn't undermine anything. Like the guy made a film about a father who feels trapped in his family. That's pretty much what it is. Like he he just he he just feels like he doesn't belong like no like no one cares about what he cares about like no, that, know, that, he wants to go and watch Pinocchio and then his kids don't give a shit like he feels trapped in his family life he's hold on he's the cinematic equivalent equivalent of someone who takes off one day and says like well he gives his kid a phone call and says. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna be back. I'm going to stay in wh- whenever, wherever, I don't know, for a while, see what happens, and then they'll just have another family as a result of this, because they just don't feel it's working. Like, he's processing this, and especially in, when you consider the fact that this is the only film he actually wrote that makes more sense. So I don't think he's undermining anything. He's do his that undermines own experiences. That undermines the character that you've just explained completely. No, it doesn't that, undermine
4: anything. Yeah, it's I think this is reaching. The whole film is about him, about the whole, the reason why that film should have worked is the fact that there is something out there that is new, that is that is that is distinctively different to anything he's ever seen before. It enlightens him. It, it, it almost brainwashes him. It's lust, and then when he finally gets that chance to 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 a, a be engulfed by this this theme, this this thing, which is which is let's say it's the aircraft. The whole point about the film is to take a stand back and understand what you've got. It's not what else is out there. There'll always be something else out there. It's the fact that when he when he looks behind him and his family's there, that's who matters. That's the people who he needs to be chasing. That's the full circle of that film. For that character then to fuck off, I find that undermines the whole arc of that character where he needs to find purpose, which, is, which has been staring in his eyes all along. I just find that character arc is so flimsy. So... I mean, I just, I just don't, I just, for me, it doesn't work. Fair enough, it worked to be, but I just, I can't see how that doesn't remind really that right. character arc.
1: I mean, I think we we need to park close encounters for now because we could be here all night just no, no, arguing. No, no. The, the, the reason
4: why, I, <laughs> the reason why I bring it up though, it, it showcases his inability to be able to put a full stop on something, which then dramatically comes into fruition with 1941. Not only on a cinematic level, on a screen, on a, like with the screenwriting with the filmmaking, but the fact that he can't say no. Sometimes in life, there is an opportunity that gets thrown at you where you're not ready for it. You might not be in the right place emotionally, mentally. You might not even be there physically. But sometimes when an opportunity comes your way, you have no choice but to take it because it may never come again. He has an era in the 1970s. He has the SNL. He has John Miles. He has has John Landis. He has Harold Ramis doing a a draft for him. You know, Brian De Palma's helping out. You know, uh, there's all these people. Kubrick's talking about it. Francis Paul Capola's talking to him about it. He has this infrastructure, this circle, right? Sometimes it's, so, well, he has a 1970s with the SNL, the cast members as well, John Belusia, Dan Aykroyd, you know? John Caffini. Yeah, yeah but, but, but he has he has, yeah. ev- he has everything in a circle that is too much to turn down. So I can appreciate the fact, and I tried to, to say when Carson said it, like, why would you do it? That is the only reason on this earth I can imagine why he did it, because the opportunity there, was too much to turn down. But it's a perfect example of sometimes when all the pieces are in the correct, in the order, it might not be the jigsaw you want to see. It might not be the prettiest picture. You know, that's life. I mean, the fact of the matter remains, like it's a massive ramification for his career and he's never quite got over it. And it's an issue that, in his detriment, he's never been able to sort of understand of where he's gone wrong and say, look, just because I went too far and overboard with this as an experimental piece that it went to something it shouldn't have been that shouldn't make, that shouldn't make me as a director, as a filmmaker be not necessarily scared, but pressured into not wanting to make decisions or exercises in dramatic fashion that might be a little bit different from what my audience expect. You know, I think three or four years later when he makes Raiders I think there's an opportunity in the 80s to make something quite drastic and to make something a little bit more punchy and a bit more spectacular in the fact that he can push the, the ratings board. Like you think of all the filmmakers and the, the actors in the 80s coming to their end, you know, that you have the Steamer Queen in 1980 who, uh, who dies, but you have that era still alive and well that he can make something interesting. And to me, I think he missed the book massively in understanding that you don't have to de- be fi- defined by drawn conventions conventions which, which are basically just sugar like he, he literally is, he, he's just he's just a sugar I don't, I'm trying to trying to think of it in a way but like he's, too, he's sickly he's just too sweet and sickly and before long it, it it makes you ill and that that's that's Spielberg I'd rather have nine I'd rather have five 1941s in a row as long as he showed me something different rather than having what we've got in the last two decades
1: so just to um, throw, not to throw it back at you, but throw it back at to at all of us, all of us in here. So what you're saying, um, not what you're saying, but it's just like trying to re- recapitulate this. Would 1941 work in a different director's hands? No, because it's it it's
4: it's it's what you and Ewan, Ewan said, right? It's nuance has to come about with spoof and 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 and, and satirical satirical messaging, right? Those two things. On a subject matter like this, regardless of, of, of where you are in the world, if it's a different, if it's in Japan, if it's in the Mid- Middle East, if it's in England, it's always going to be a very difficult thing to sort of balance those two and make it to a comedy. Now, nuance needs to come into hand here. He's he's too an immature director at this point, in my, even in my opinion, I think he is. I think he doesn't understand necessarily the, the, the boisterous nature of, of, of where to take that genre. I, I appreciate the fact that he he is he evolves himself in his own sort of way of wanting to push his boundaries, but this is a director that's not in it for that. Now, again, like I said, I appreciate the fact that he tried to do it, but there's no nuance in this film whatsoever. Like when you look at sort of you know Four Lions, like the, the, the satire there, but but it 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 is undercut with such a hard hitting and howling message where Chris Morris, like he almost paints you a picture, and at the end, he asks you to look at it, and it's you laughing at like horrific messaging, and it's the ramification of like what you expect you as as a not in as a reflection of society, but culture at that time. There was an opportunity here to go one step further, and to really plant not ironically enough, plant the flag in the sand and say we're going to showcase the, the satire of, of this mess that, that we were in, but also showcase the actual terror that we did. He's not a nuanced director to do that. He has no idea about material. He's so out of his depths, unbelievable. I don't know, in 1979, another filmmaker that could do this, aside from Kubrick, why, why he would want to do this. I'm the question was, sure. wasn't
0: like it wouldn't would it be better with a different director? I think the answer clearly is yes. All you have to do is look at like the great the great dictator from Chaplin. He accomplishes everything this film wants to be. It's a mix of comedy and oh uh, well. Apparently, that's a hot take in this call according to Jack's face. But I think he accomplishes everything this film wants to be and tries to be, and quite stunning um, with a stunning final product.
4: Spielberg? Spielberg or
0: Chaplin? What? Spielberg or Chaplin? Oh, Chaplin. No, not Spielberg. Spielberg is the wrong choice. The question was a different uh, director. Could Spielberg you imagine, clearly can't make this shit. Yeah. You, can you imagine Chaplin doing that in that era? Well, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily saying like specifically Chaplin, but d- like I'm saying like it can be done if the filmmaker no, no, has I mean, the right um, craft. And no, no, such. I
4: appreciate that. I mean that considering Chaplin's own issues with politics and how <laughs> America ostracized it, it yeah. would be very interesting for him to take hold of this it would be really
0: interesting i think yeah Definitely i mean it would be, would, it would be really yeah. interesting I think,
4: yeah, well no but i just think with a filmmaker that's had and i think from a japanese filmmaker i can imagine if kurosawa yeah. made this it would be a very interesting portrayal sure. but I, th- I think you're right it's, it's been done but it was done it well i just i just think that if it was if it was if you that in, in that era, I think Kubrick would have a really good stab at it. But I mean, Kubrick I did he was...
1: have a stab at it. He made Doctor yeah. Strangelove, which is basically oh, yeah, kind like, of in yeah, the yeah. same sort of. I mean, even Kurosawa, yeah. he Real made House. I Live
0: in Fear, which is maybe less of comedy, but still is trying to be comedic about like the threat of like atomic destruction, which is pretty heavy stuff. Like this is yeah, not yeah. new; it's been made. Everyone has their own take at it. It's just clear that like Spielberg is not the person to
4: take a stab at it. And he's also, as well, he's been lauded to be Spielberg's sort of second-in-command and in, in more ways than one. I know they've had those phone calls throughout the years. The, the, like Spielberg's been on record, like quite interesting conversations. But, uh, you know, with AI and stuff and, and, and Schindler's List being passed and forth and Schindler's List came out, Spielberg dropped his Holocaust drama. Um, I just think Spielberg's, this film is, if you're ever going to showcase the two different, and I mean, massive space between the both of, of, of ability. I would show Strange and this, and you can see how how far behind the pack Spielberg quite quite really is. Now, if if Kubrick was the same age as Spielberg, I still think now Kubrick would be maybe 20 miles ahead of him thematically, uh, cinematically on all levels. I think this really sort of showcases Spielberg's inability as a director all around.
3: No, but I think the problem is also that they had different audiences in mind when making the movies. Like, I would say that outside of like maybe a couple of movies that Spielberg made, everything else was purely commercial, not in a negative sense for me, but just like aimed at a wide audience that everyone can enjoy all over the world and for the most part it worked meanwhile Kubrick was making like proper art house. even Dr. Strangelove is a very atypical comedy like it doesn't work on the same level as this for many reasons I know a lot of like fellow like a lot of cinephiles my age start watching movies and they're like oh Dr. Strangelove they say it's not funny at all and I can see that because it's it's a comedy that works more for when it was made, It works more on a satirical level. This one, for instance, doesn't have any satire, in my opinion,
1: outside of. No, it does.
3: Actually, you know, yeah, the, uh, sort of like the whole, you know, Americans being crazy because they are obsessed with the war and the Japanese coming outside of that element. Um, it's, the- it's very like in your face, very obvious, um, very more like a parody like Carson said in the beginning. It's more more geared towards being a parody of real events of uh, real people as well like you mentioned than being a proper like satire and so it's just clashing of tones like you go from one scene to the other and it's slapstick and it's uh, witty comedy and it's practical jokes and it's improv and it's action it's it's just a blending of everything that works in very 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 small doses but when it doesn't work it's a mess
2: I think that's the issue with the whole satire to parody thing. I think if, if you took this film with this script and gave it to a different director, I think they would struggle as well. But on the other hand, I think that the, the issue with satire, when I think of the best satires, stuff like Doctor Strange, Love, In the Loop, The Death of Stalin, Bullworth as well, I think the the big thing they had going for them is that they had a bite to it, they had something to say and they had something to criticise. With Spielberg, and I think that's, it, as well as just with this film, but his track record on the whole, He's not a filmmaker that will have a bite at something. He's not going to be someone that's going to stir controversy or anything like that. He's a very safe filmmaker. And I think the issue with making a satire as a safe filmmaker is that you don't want to alienate an audience. Your your direction here, especially for Spielberg on 1941, is to reach an audience, to reach a market. Whereas something like The Death of Stalin or Bulbeth, it it reached an audience, yes, but it did have its fair few controversies about subject matter and what it was saying about it. 1941... I don't really think there's much controversy around it because I don't really know what it's trying to say about any of the events it's depicting. There's stuff like um, really tiny pockets of American history in there. It's like the zoot suit riots. And it's like, that's included for a sight gag because it looks a bit funny. It's never really expanded on further from that. It's a bit of tap dancing jokes here or a fedora hat there. And that's about it. That's all we're left with. Where if you take something like In The Loop or Doctor Strange Love, it takes a concept and it starts building from that rather than, Picking out targets, you know. I think the real restriction here is the Pearl Harbor setting because it's kind of clear that he doesn't really want anything to do with Pearl Harbor as a director. He just wants to make a war satire, and he's sort of pigeonholed himself into just talking about Pearl Harbor and the events around it. But the events around it in 1941 are so broad and they're so wildly disconcerted; they they don't make sense when they're put together, which is why they split off into subplots. If you've got something like In the Loop, which is meant to be a criticism of the Iraq war, really, essentially, but it's such a broad concept, it never mentions the actual event, it never mentions the people that were involved, because it's all fictional characters coming together to sort of make a point about it. And crucially as well, it's funny. And I don't think 1941, especially at two and a half hours, has enough humour in it to make for a sort of formidable satire. Even Bulworth has a lot of issues, but it's got Warren Beatty as sort of just a, a senator that's gone insane. And it, it, it's that that makes the narrative special. It's that one character. Or in the loop, it's the writing. 1941 doesn't have sort of a specific angle or a set piece that thinks that's it. That's what we've gone for. That's nailed it. There's never a moment in that film where the satire really bites at anything, which is where it starts falling into parody and spoof. And when I think parody and spoof, I think disaster movie and scary movie mm. and epic movie. And it's not on that level. It's not as it's not as bad as that. I <laughs> no, 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 don't you know. that you But it's it's kind of closer to that than it would be to one of the great satires of his generation and i think it's because if you look at his track record over the 80s the 90s and even the 70s he's a very safe filmmaker he's not going to push it out himself out there he's not going to take a major risk if you look at the stuff he's been doing recently like ready player one the post these are fine well not ready player one that was dog shit that was worse than 1941 but at least he's you know, th- there's nothing there that would suggest he's really trying to market himself as someone that's more than safe.
4: You know, a- any filmmaker who y- who you just mentioned there, in the loop, and I've mentioned Chris Morris, we're talking about creators or and directors. Like, you know, the, I can't remember the guy's name, but, you know, the Death of Star, which I think is, is a wonderful uh, film. Yeah. These, these, are, these are directors who are very engulfed by the, the, the nature of politics. Not necessarily on, on social media, but within their films, it's a key key element of, of how they define their, their filmmaking craft. Spielberg is so apolitical, it often begs the question, why the fuck is he in there to begin with? If you're not interested in the actual conversation, in my opinion, don't take part in it. I think you just obscure the message. Now, I can understand <laughs> ringing John Wayne up and, and ringing John Heston and, and and I think John Wayne is quoted as saying like, never, and you need to drop this immediately. And as, as what Nick said about Coppola also saying like, you know, fix this, fix that. I think it's very murky waters for any director to get involved in a political sort of understated messaging in film, even if that's satire, parody, uh, so on and so forth. If politics is a message, and you're an apolitical person, then for me, you don't have really much frame of reference on that, com- uh, that, that uh, conversation, and then ultimately, the confrontation you're going to have. I also think that's why it scared him to never sort of public. I know he's publicly endorsed with the candidates and stuff like that. I'm not really talking about. That. I mean, in his filmmaking. There's, there's always a conversation to be had about the, like, uh, um, capitalism is in his features, I mean, AI, AI minority report, um, political messages here and there. He never sort of attaches himself to it. And I also think it hurts him on a narrative level because he doesn't really know where to take it, probably because he doesn't know himself, but it always damns the film. There's a really good conversation to have in AI about mass production, capitalism, it's, the downfall in the market, but he sort of undermines everything because he underwrites them. And here is a perfect example of just a director of not really, not necessarily understanding the the, 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 uh, thematic of the film, the subtext, and and the context, but someone uh, who who, who doesn't want to be confronted on that message. I think if you make a film like The Death of Stalin, you're inviting people to have a conversation. In the Loop is a perfect example. People are invited to have that conversation because it's ridiculous, but it's also... If anyone attacks that message and says, look, this is stupid, that, then all the all the directors that could go well, well, we're based on this. This is happening now. Like there's, there's also like a ram- ramification of, of a pop culture reinvested in 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 in, in literal culture what we what we are having now. I don't think 1941 in 1979 stands for anything. It doesn't stand for any allegory of the Vietnam War, it doesn't stand anything on Watergate, anything on Nixon. It, it's just it's just a a, a a comedy that wants to jibe and make jokes about, about the war and horrific things that happen to people on both sides of, uh, uh, and two continents. I just think, I think it's actually quite, a, a, I know, Carson, you, you mentioned it, but, but maybe offensive is quite the, the cor- correct term here because he's not interested in his product. Why should I be? That's the first thing I'll say. Secondly, if you're not making it to sort of be an indictment of anything or to make a message of anything, yes, Jakob, You've you, you've implied there is one. I think that's so half-assed and undermined. It's unbelievable. W- w- why are we go- Why are we? Ma- why are we making it? I just I just don't see the the inception of, of of what the direction is here. Aside from I've got a group of people I can make a film with. Let's just blow a fucking budget. We could have you know built a fucking nuclear weapon with to begin with, and let's just cause absolute chaos. I mean I, I don't want to go down a de- another route here, but if this if the director's name was Claire Denis that person would never make a film again as well. Let's let's clarify that. He's a fucking lucky boy because th- this film is horrific on all senses of imagination.
0: I mean, if I may d- quickly, I know we've talked yeah. a lot about Spielberg's involvement on this. Going on the Wikipedia page finally and seeing that Robert Zemeckis did the screenplay makes a lot of sense. This boy cannot, this. you know, say what you want about him as a director. That's a different conversation. As a screenwriter, I think he's genuinely incompetent at this point. And this is just all you need to look like. Didn't go downhill. It started bad. Maybe he had a few moments here and there, but that you write a in cliche,
1: sense. and it and it shows.
0: Uh, it's it's right. the same
4: thing for for years. We have, we we have kissed these directors' asses because they were the formulation of a new era of Hollywood. But I'm sorry, their shit still stings. Like we have to sort of analyze that and say it's fact. Like Scorsese will make bombs. Scorsese will make bad decisions. We have to sort of analyze that, even though he's, he's an elderly a director and he's been around in the craft for for, for over four decades it's still not inevitable that he's going to get criticism. We have to still construct that. And the likes of Spielberg, uh, and Zemeckis as well, that's the reason why they can make the fucking Marwin film with Steve Carell, because no one sits there and analyzes his craft and says, well, actually, um, this here doesn't really make any sense. What, what, what's the idea here? No one wants to like, sort of argue the principles. And it's Spielberg's have been allowed to do it rent-free for decades. Like, decades. The fact I know everyone spoke about it here, but honestly, and this is horrible to say, but if you are three years after making a box office blockbuster, right, and you're parodying your own film, I think that's a mass cause for concern. And yeah, that's, that's, that's that's just ego, right? We've, oh we've my, talked about no, I, e- I we've
1: I, we've talked about ego for for the last two weeks or so, and then that's that's a clear example of this. on oh display, God. No,
4: I think it's I think it's that's, that's under well.
1: That's that's an uh, understatement, yes. Yes. But
4: I also think that the same applies there that with Ready Player One. I think as an exercise, that's a very incredibly um interesting film, a very rich film to watch. But when you when you apply Spielberg into it, it loses that power. It loses that 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 con that confrontation, again, like what I'm talking about, and the context of ultra high capitalism, greed and lust, and what's been sold to you as something that's that's like skittles on screen being thrown at your eyes. And it's the same analysis that was thrown at the Speed Racer. But the idea of Speed race is that there was, there was, a, there was, a, there, there was sort of a, an art back to, the, uh, to the, um, the cartoon, but also there's a filmmaking prowess in that film which was far ahead of its time. Ready Player One to me is like it is. It's just skittles in your eyes. There's no, there's no context to it whatsoever that, that, that Spielberg's ready to talk about. He just goes the easier way out. There's no difference between 1941 and, ni- and, and, and 2017, that where's the evolution i'm i'm i'm, I'm generally where's the evolution he's
0: figured out how to make skills taste good that's it that's well great. yeah i, I mean
4: it, it, if he can make it for ch- cheap enough then people will, will, will buy it and watch it i just I mean, think like i said for a long long time zemeckis i think incredibly so i'm glad you brought his name up for so long they've made institutional films for the zeitgeist and have not been able to be approached or touched and now more than ever, we, we need to criticize that. You can be on the top, yeah, but again, but your shit doesn't smell like roses. And we need to sort of assess that. And Spielberg is one that's never sort of been able to have such a damning experience. I mean, if you're going to make a film like Welcome to Marwan Town, whatever it's called, Steve Carell, I, ju- I just think like, I could, not, I could not believe that that man had made that film, but also that he ultra references Back to the Future in it to a way where it was almost sickening. See, that's, These directs, that's pretty much what I wanted to kind of bring up. Yeah, I mean, but the, that, that's, just, an, that's, a, I, that's the put, ego. Yeah, I was just gonna say these directors. I mean, they've come to a point now where they they, they have nothing, and they've been they've been rolling on on steam and 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 and, well, and They're, fumes old, they're old
1: men now. Like think about this. Well, like what does the, that mean, you know, though? I don't no, it's t- just like well, you know, I don't. know. They lost like you said it in the very opening. They lost. They lose their bite. They're cl- they they're declawed. Like they they just lose the sort of like they're 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 not gonna be making films that were make that they were making when they were like thirty five or forty five. You just, you. I I know I've known you for, for far too long now and I know that we are trying
4: to do it here is that you, you want to give these people the benefit of the doubt and I appreciate that. But the fact of the matter remains is that oh, yeah. there are filmmakers of that calibre, of that age, right? Who 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 still have that bite and they've been shit on. It's all about how you are how you are raised for the media. Well no, we talk about Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader comes oh. out on Facebook and makes some certain comments. I'm like, what the fuck? But like what what you but, 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 of, his filmographer still <laughs> retains that message where he yeah. wants to he, he still has that bite. I think Scorsese does. I really do think I think those filmmakers I think De Palma although the, he's been shafted because he can't raise budgets, I think De Palma would still have that bite. But Spielberg and
2: Zemeckis... Oh, they're gone. They're gone. Well, long well, gone. Yeah, but... they've
1: been, and they've been gone for a while. Yes.
2: I. I mean, did they have a bite in the first place, though? If oh, you yes. look at Spielberg's record, like yes. yeah. uh, Jaws, essentially is just a decent adaptation of a very bad book. Oh no. You, Jaws was
0: saved by the fact that the shark malfunctioned and The shark worked. <laughs> yeah. It would not be what it is.
4: It wouldn't but, be good. Yeah, probably. But no, but like,
1: we have to also kind of just make, make sure that, and so, like, okay, well, we understand the film is not just one person show. Once we start bringing Jaws up, he
4: starts to get fucking defensive. No, no.
1: It's one of those things. No, it's you not know, just Jaws, but it's just, well, certain things just happen. Like stars align and then films go or become masterpieces that they are. Like, that's just, you know, miracles.
4: I mean, on Ewan's point of view, can anyone name a film that, that Spielberg's in but it's had a bite? And don't say shameless. <laughs> no, the <because> Adventures <laughs> of Tintin. Munich. It's, a, it's another film. Again, it's like it's. No, a, that's a good it's your point, Ewan. Adaptation. Peter Jackson's involved. Edgar Wright's involved. Yeah. You know, um, what's his face? Joe Wright's involved. Wood war, war of the Worlds. Uh, oh no, Munich. Munich. Yes, Munich. I'll give, I, I think. I think Munich has the best ending scene in a Spielberg film where they're yes, talking about... Yeah, the best about... middle. But, but, but again, <laughs> the coming from is where... also not too shabby. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I think Munich is a film where... This is gonna, I'm going to... might have to cut this out, but there are, certain, there, there are certain contexts to a film, right, where in modern culture it's very difficult to assess because of the context of the situation containing what's happening now. Munich, Schindler's List... You cannot assess those films in a constructive ma- manner without someone throwing out an accusation of anti-Semitism. I'm sorry, it no, happens.
1: You... No, no, no. We're talking in about this, even, in this no conversation. Way. You'd be able to do this because well, you, you have here, to have yeah. a certain certain level of sensitivity and and sort of like okay, well, you'd have to trust in the sort of our intellectual capability not to throw this back at you that you're being an anti-Semite, right? You, you're, yes, you can yes. be critical of, of certain things. You're allowed to be critical of certain things. That doesn't mean that you hate Jews just because you don't like Schindler's yes. List. Yes, right? we all agree
4: that. But the like, thing with on. Munich is... Like, we're all, I, we're all I,
1: adults in here. Yes, I, I think the only thing I will come
4: back at Munich is he takes the easy way out on its ending. But there are people who were involved with that who never made it out on both sides. And he, and he goes with the Jewish family who managed to make it out into New York. I think there's, 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 and you can say then that there's a connotation of what he's formulating for his ending when they have the conversation and we, we, we pan out and we see the trade centres. I think that has massive ramifications for his story and it just about justifies his decision. But I think with Schindler's list, and I think um, Terry Gilliam said it best, is that he would rather have seen Kubrick's adaptation of it and then so would I because if that is a mass genocide. That, that it is in, in, in mass, in the public knowledge more, the, more so than ever now, but he chose to look at someone who managed to save people, but he didn't choose to look at the people who didn't make it out, and that's the difference. I think you can argue that that he does both on a balance, but that film is not about the man who could have saved more; it's about those who didn't get it out. That's what that's what the film needed to focus on, and Spielberg, even in those really rich tapestries of his own culture still wants to put um a morality a, a entity on it a, and to make it more brighter and that's all well and good because it, it's I'm not I'm not I'm not Jewish I, I, I'm but I'm he not is.
1: But he is exactly. And I think he a, I think that's a personal film to him as well, yeah. and I think I mean, he's he's kind I mean, of balancing
0: both. Films. Let's be fair before we get into like you know kidding these individuals. Even if you give him Munich and you give him Schindler's List, that means six percent true. of six percent six percent of his films have a bite. That's yeah. not great odds, even if those two are like. But did, but do they amazing. all have to have a bite? I
1: mean, Nicole, it's, you said yeah. this. No, six
0: percent. Like, he could it's... he since after Jaws and especially after Jurassic yeah. Park and you know Indiana Jones or whatever he could make shit films for rest of his life and still, have a oh, he, has. he, and he, he has nothing to lose. Why well, so, wouldn't you go Private out Ryan and like, attempt? A
3: well, but this is because we were talking about him being like
0: okay, he's
4: insecure and like he, okay, nine percent of his
0: films do, guys. But <laughs> well, seven
4: Private Ryan though, it is justified by its cause though. It's a film that he cannot underwhelm on its bike well, yeah, it has, it's a part exactly. of its DNA that that, that story. No, you but, couldn't make a fucking um a Seven Private Ryan in a John Wayne era, could it? He's, he's allocated to be able to have that bite to justify the means by a way. But still, I think that, again, again it's like like Carson said, three films that have like a filmography of 50. I mean,
1: I mean 33 enough, directed but, features. But, but, but
4: then, I, don't I think mean, it's does necessary. he have to? Does he have Not to a, have
1: a bite for, for all, all, all 50 of his movies? I mean, I, I, I he doesn't have to
4: have one, Yakub. But I mean, he, he sailed the boat on such calm waters. I mean, I'm fine with him doing, like,
1: The Lost World or, like, Catch Me If You Can. Like, it's just escapism that he's making. Lost World is smaller, but... No, no, but I'm fine with doing with him doing films that are safe and whatever because like not everyone has to has to has to you know like it's it's fine like but then like what is he contributing
0: to the cinematic art form if he's making just like casual white noise cinema that's like good like yeah I think he's a good like I like his films overall even his newer ones like you can talk about the post or whatever like I enjoy the post I think those are good movies but like what are you really contributing
1: to cinema or the world same you have to to level the same criticism at Someone like James Cameron, who's basically, can, yeah, but deciding... can,
4: I, can I just say this? All right? I, I truly mean this, and this might blow someone's fucking head off. Can anyone tell me the difference in the cinematic realm that the impact that John Favreau has had instead of Spiel, Steven Spielberg? Seriously, what,
1: what's on. the difference? What's the difference between John Favreau and Steven Spielberg?
2: I think, yeah, the, 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 the key difference is that Chef is very good and it's a very G- exactly. genuinely, I didn't think chef's a yeah, yeah, yeah. genuinely good adaptation of grief and it does have a bit of a bite to it because it's about a guy that's going through just a complete breakdown he has a go at his boss he just quits his job and he goes and he does something different with his life that's probably what spielberg should do he should go and do something different if he's not going to have a bite in because that nine percent of the films he's got munich schindler's list and saving private ryan all three of those are based on true events He's Mm -hmm. adapting fact, essentially. He's adapting fact and sprinkling in bits of his own opinion, and he's putting that out there. There's Um, nothing wrong with that. Everyone does that. But if you look at the rest of his films, if you look at, like, I don't know, I've not seen... War Horse. War (laughs) Horse. Oh, my God. That's
1: the the, the epitome of the sort of safe, schmaltzy, sickly uh filmmaking that you jack you've been so so passionately dismantling right that's the, he's, he's been doing this for a long like the empire of the sun doesn't really have a bite it's also an adaptation of a book and it's also safe and schmaltzy sh- but it's kind of he's almost like he's trying to appeal to the sort of the the, the the silver fox sort of in the room like he's trying to appeal to older audiences who ap- appreciate this sort of prestige save films and then this is on like okay well i suppose there they deserve to have movies for them right and that's fine but it's just like i suppose this is a valid question to say why is he why is he revered as one of the gods of cinema and i think he's kind of just okay well if you actually start picking at him and you know he's not no, he's like we're like you're worshiping to a false prophet if you think that steven spielberg is kind of like a, some kind of a god but he's made well, quite a few really, really all solid all films, films right like you have I'm to give credit where credit is due
3: Yeah, I know. There's there's a very specific. I mentioned them before, like the Italian circle of snobbish critics who love author theory. And there's this one guy that I know who absolutely adores Spielberg to the point of uh, I was looking up some of his reviews and like 1941, eight out of ten. The Post, nine out of ten. Like most of his movies is rated from eight to ten, basically. Almost all of them that have. Was researching earlier and i do believe that part of it is of course like almost forcing yourself to find connections between the movies almost in an apologies kind of way but i do believe it's also part of nostalgia and if and i think that's why like you were talking about like the silver fox it's true it's there's a lot of people who grew up with spielberg and back back then it was Mind blowing, but to be honest, even for me as a kid watching Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T., I I have fond memories of those films. And I believe that's ultimately why I, I kind of don't get upset about the whole like playing it safe. Because in a way, we need people like Spielberg, and he perfected the art of the mainstream, sweeping, wholesome entertainment. None of his movies ever have a negative ending or an ending that is kind of like, you know, bittersweet, maybe outside of Munich, maybe. And Close Encounters. And Close Encounters. Oh, we're acknowledging it now.
1: We're acknowledging it now, look. And, but it's but well, it's no, always that. It's, it's, it's a sad ending. And it's an earned sad ending. Yes, go yeah, on. Yeah, not, even not, Saving not, Private not Ryan. For it's not. That fucker's happy to piss off. <laughs> it's not, it's not <laughs> about close
3: encounters. But it's about, it's about like just like, yeah, it is, he wants to tell the stories that he wants to tell. He wants them to be positive, wholesome. People want escapism. They want to go to the movies, live happy. We are critics. We are film fans. We want something more out of them. And it was a Spielberg film, but I don't know exactly what I'm going to get. And I don't like almost anything that is made in the last 10 years, <laughs> but still I can appreciate them to a point. And and yes, yeah, so I agree with what you were saying, Jakub, earlier. It doesn't need to have a bite. It's sad that if he tried, it could have made something fabulous. But if he tried like in a very bold way, with in a more dramatic, with a more dramatic narrative, it would have been fantastic. But sadly, when he tried to take risks doing something that he didn't know what he was going to, to end up with, he made 1941. And we know what happened.
2: I think it's kind of like it, Spielberg definitely has a place because he's very, you know, he's very popular because he made very good films. I think it's, you know, if, if I'm ordering like a pizza and I want to watch a film on a Friday night, I'm going to put Joe's or Jurassic Park on because I love those films. I'm not going to put on like Blue Collar from Paul Schrader because that's a bit heavy. A bit it's great by the way I have to, it's a, sorry. yeah it's great and i think my issue with spielberg isn't that he's made these entertainment films you know indiana jones is fantastic three of them are anyways you know uh raiders last crusade king of the crystal skull they are the great ones um you know he's got entertainment films i just i i i always thought you know if you look at his filmography i would have thought there'd be something more there than just entertainment 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 he he seems like someone that could have some sort of message. And I think I'm more frustrated than anything that 1941 is an attempt at kind of doing that. And he just, he doesn't know where to start. And I think if he kept on sort of plugging away at it, he could have come out with something that was genuinely his thought and his message and his sort of creation, like Close and Cars and the Third Kind at the end. But I think there's nothing wrong with him being entertaining. I just think it's very telling of... The period we're in, where Spielberg is considered one of the greats, and all he's really done is entertainment, 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 rather than stuff like Schrader, Scorsese. Who, granted, they have made films that are made for profit, but they've also made films that are artistic and very personal. I'm not down. Close Encounters isn't personal, Spielberg. I think it is, but that's one in fifty. If you take someone like Schrader, you've got Blue Collar, you've got First Reformed, you've got American Gigolo, you've got a lot of films that feel that are written and directed with some sense of personality and some sense of genuine value to them. I don't think Spielberg, like I love Jaws. I think it's fantastic. I don't think that has personal value to Spielberg. I think that's just a bit of entertainment that he's made. I think it's a very great film. I just don't know how far it would go as a piece of sort of, you know, more than entertainment. I don't know how far it really reaches
0: I mean, to be clear, you can have a bite and still be entertaining and still be like a bite does not mean being negative or being tragic or being hopeless. You know, I think there's a balance that can be found. I think just the biggest issue is like my issue is like I don't you know, if Spielberg wants to be this entertaining guy and just have these like kind of cinematic white noise, they're still like well made good for him, you know, who, whatever is the fact that he gets that attention. He gets like the praise from my, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say film Twitter, because I don't think he's like a film Twitter favorite, but just like he gets that pedestal that so many other people I think deserve over him. And that is what is frustrating. But like, I think at least the thing you can say about Spielberg is other than maybe 1941. And I'm sure you could probably find a couple others if you really want to like nitpick. Like he makes good films. I don't think he makes bad movies. You know, I don't think he makes anything offensively bad that's hard to watch that is like, you know, revolting to the cinematic art form. I think he's a competent, you know, I would even say a good filmmaker, but it's just that I feel like he has nothing to lose at this point. Why not do something interesting? Why not push that boundary? Why just go out? I mean, I guess if you want to protect your legacy, good on him, you know. But I just think there's so much more that can be achieved, especially with his position, and that's frustrating to see.
1: Um, you know, I'm just listening to this, and I'm just thinking, okay, well, there's a few things I wanted to re- to respond to. Um, so I, I don't know. Apologies if it g- goes a bit long. Feel free to plug in, um, but from what you've just said I'm just I'm listening to you Carson I'm just thinking in terms of like if I were to metaphorize this I was just thinking Spielberg is a is a burger restaurant like a mom and pop burger restaurant they've been doing burgers for a long time and all they do is burgers meanwhile like people like Scorsese Schrader whatever they change their menus they just put on like oh let's let's do some I don't know let's spend the season and do like fusion cuisine do something else just go risky like no just change things up and he's always been like no Burgers are good. Burgers are safe. We may put a pickle on one. Nah, I mean, maybe 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 some I don't know, roquito peppers. I don't know. Just you know, like just this. This is his idea. His idea of spicing things up is basically just changing the accoutrement on the, on the burger, right? Uh, as opposed to the entire dish itself. Like he's kind of like one of those. But I'm. I think that. And there's a few few other points like from way back in the back back in the past now that that we're kind of just like also this would tie into I think it comes back to what you and you just said um that he doesn't write his own films right it's m- much more difficult to kind of tease out this the sort of connective tissue or the personal attachment to the script when the guy doesn't write it right he he, he gets attracted to the um uh, to, to to the scripts based on certain things and he can tease out this connective tissue like the father and son dynamics you can clearly see that this is his shtick but but honest to god like i have a feeling that this is one of those things that it kind of is the ultimate the undoing of 1941 and some of his other films is the fact that he he doesn't write he relies on other people and then you think about we've mentioned dr strangelove written and directed by stanley kubrick uh and then if you think about the coattails of i think catch 22 um oh, who did it Christ Mike Nichols um but he didn't write it but it's also based on a book but um but if you think about like he's also writing like the 70s w- was also like the satirical decade when you think like Buñuel the tail end of Buñuel and he used to write his own films i think co-write because oh, what's this what's the guys name Jean-Paul Jean-Pierre Jean-Claude uh, Carrier. i think so like the, that discrete object of desire uh, discrete charms or uh, well the, um, well, Obscure object of desire and then uh, discreet champ of the bourgeoisie. These these would be the sort of films that 1941 is kind of sort of riding on the coattails of. And, and Robert then, Altman. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, and he writes his films, right? And but then when you think about, I think you and, and Jack, I think you mentioned Yanucci, He writes his stuff, right? And then you, when you think about how, why satire works in these hands and why it doesn't work here, it's probably at least partially down to that. And there's because. There's 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 a disconnect between what you see on screen and, and 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 what's in the text because there's an there's an element of what the director well the director would have to look at the page and interpret what the writer meant and when when they're the same person it's easier so so that there is that and there's I mean I mean I, I kind of come at these things especially in, in this show especially uh, well we we could always say oh it's shit and then you know like and there's no conversation so I'm trying to maybe. Well, Jack you, you you kind of just summarized this as in like well given given give the people benefit of the doubt they kind of do be, and I'm not trying to defend the film because it kind of just doesn't work more, more than it does to me even though I, I find bits of it hilarious um, but but I would say this that when you think about building a satire. Um, that's like the, the death of Stalin or something like this that's been mentioned these are brilliant examples doc, or Dr. Strangelove I think when you watch when you watch this as someone who's completely say, let's just say historically unprepared it's kind of difficult to tease out certain things like Dr. Strangelove I could understand that you might not find it funny because it actually requires you to sort of get some understanding of basic history to see oh this is what they're spoofing this is what they're laughing at with The Death of Stalin, it's probably easier because it's a little bit more in the sort of sphere of public perception. Although, like I watched The Death of Stalin and people who were, I, I think the beginning of, in the sort of when recording of the um, uh, orchestras I and mean, like when they were just recording a concert and then that sort of bit got a few laughs in the cinema. Um, I was kind of dumbfounded because it was both, both hilarious and scary to me because I, ha- I, I have very intimate knowledge of that kind of stuff being where I'm from um so uh so so theres so there's so there's this thing going on that the I can't, so which which is still in nineteen forty one to some extent but it's not teased out properly because I think there's the disconnect between Spielberg not writing the script and Zemek is writing in cliches as well but there's like um the ending when they have this sort of artillery piece destroying the house as they're firing at the submarine that's clearly to me a satirical take on so the frenzy and trying to destroy the enemy destroying your own country as well there's this it's there it's just poorly teased out it's just poorly executed like if i could i could imagine if Iannucci made this film instead not in 1979 but in 2019 this would have been a completely different experience, it would have been fucking hilarious and thought-provoking at the same time, I think. But the fact that Spielberg was a, basically a guy who was trying to execute on the script that was kind of written on, on someone's lap, it's, it's, it just shows. So, so yeah, I have a feeling that there's, there's, there's this disconnect. However, there's one thing that always is on my mind because that was 1979, writing on, writing on the coattails of Buñuel, Kubrick, Altman, and Nichols and then when you think about this was like the precipice of after that in 1980 and 1984 the Zucker Zucker Abrams kind of happened and it's almost like he it, he made this film like five years too early because he would have fit in this sort of era of this sort of political spoof or this sort of like out and out sort of parody that's kind of just traversing from satire into parody Um and then maybe this is where where the sort of benefit of the doubt and the sort of cult appreciation would come into play because maybe this is sort of like the early Zucker Zucker Abrams film that's just well has its has massive flaws. Well, I don't know where you guys stand on this, so that's kind of like my one one of my sort of last points I wanted to kind of raise whether whether this is sort of slightly ahead of its time as the sort of like parodies that kind of flourished in eighties and then early nineties.
4: I just I just say about your your mamas and poppers thing is very interesting because. I think your prin- the principle of what you're talking about there is correct, but he's never been a mummers and poppers. He's been institutionalized boys from that one. He's a burger king. Okay,
1: that's yeah, the problem.
4: Enough. Okay, well,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that, that, no, the, I, I the concept that of like, a he's, amb- he's a burger restaurant, not, not like, you
4: know. No, he's a chain, because He's a burger king. He's, 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 he's <clears throat> systematically putting out a, a product. And that, that, that's my point about it. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily that, he, you know, or he'll change it once and often. Like, he's built to only do one thing. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's The fact enough. that well, when people go to, like, uh, you know, expecting anything different from him is, like, surprising because he's, he's manufactured that way. I just think that he's a director. Just, I know I don't want to undercut your point about what you made, but I, I think he's been on a pedestal for far too long, and I know that's horrible to say because he, he's, he's made people's, you know, childhood memories and far. but I'm sorry, but we put him on a pedestal for far too long, and his root benefits, and he's never, ever, ever exchanged... An interest in in his audience that look, I'm gonna make this now, let's let's come on to this journey. Whatever, whatever Spielberg makes, you'll still have those masterpieces in the past. It's not like if he makes the old boy remake, Jurassic Park doesn't have its mighty, you know, chorus sung about it all the time. What are these people defending? When they get to this age, it's more so keeping a legacy, you know. Their legacy is always gonna be there. You're not gonna trample it. You didn't trample it with 1941, although this is a terrible feature, you know. Push the boundaries he is he has no he has no issue not to do it that would be my only point I'm sorry for to undercut you
0: i mean jack to your point about him being like you know at universal studios on the actual like film set the main road is called steven spielberg road so like yeah clearly the clearly they're there for him the the studio is i
2: think it's yeah I, i agree with the burger analogy where it's sort of he's making the same thing but people like burgers and It's only like in the past decade though that he's before he's serving them, he starts spitting in the burgers and then he's sending them out. And it's kind (laughs) of we're getting to that point now. But I to to answer your original question of whether 1941 would actually survive if it was made five years earlier or five years later, I think it would have survived if it was made a bit later. Because this branch of comedy, it doesn't gel well with satire. The writing I think needs some work, but I do think, like you said, where the gun is blowing up the house as the firing at the submarine, that stuff is good for satire. I think where it falls apart though is that this is just off the back end of stuff like animal house which had john belushi and you had caddy shack coming out in a couple of years time it's very influenced by that saturday night live group and i think where that falls apart is the cast don't really gel with the comedy sorry no the cast don't gel well with the the writing that has been presented to them which is where the improv stuff comes in where sort of it all falls apart i do think had this been cast differently it would have been a bit stronger That's not to say they give bad performances. I think Dan Aykroyd's surprisingly quite good in this. Um, But that's not to say he's elevating the material. I think the issue is that there are moments that are really good, and I think with a bit of narrative to them, they would work, rather than six plots just doing their own different thing. I think with something that connects them all together, other than just the broad topic of Pearl Harbor, it would have been fantastic. I think it would have been a really nice satire about the event and about the reaction to it. And I, I, there are glimmers of that in there. I don't think it's a complete washout. I don't think it's an abject failure. I just, with a bit more focus, and had it not been influenced by that sort of national lampoon style of humor, then it would have gone a lot further than it did.
1: So I suppose I think we have a we have a bit of a verdict in here. I mean, I think we might, might as well just just bring this to a close. And in in, in general uh because you know like it it, i don't know i don't know where you guys stand on it so in 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 sort of in the spirit of sort of closing thoughts on this i at least at least think well i mean i might as well just go first and then just throw it back to you um i at least think that you know there is something in this film that's kind of hidden there under this metric ton of shit (laughs) that's kind of i think at least I kind of come at the at films that way. They I always give films like I've treated them like children, as in like they all deserve to to be alive and they all deserve to be loved in some level. So you kind of want to see what's what's to be loved in this one, and there's things to to like. And you know, it's, it's it's very few films I genuinely hate, like start to finish. And then some of them just are just I don't know late Godard. Let's just say, but um, <laughs> um, but but that's not one of them. Um, so. What I will say, in, in just to finish the discussion on this, because I think we've we've gone on for for a bit for a bit on this, and then we've touched on quite a few things about Spielberg as a filmmaker, and then uh, as as a let's just call it an alleged icon of cinema. I think the 1941 film is a brilliant example of where his shortcomings really show, as in he he is he's a journeyman director. He knows how to make stuff happen, but sometimes he needs the sort of he needs to be propped up by the vision coming from elsewhere. And then whether it comes from books that he's adapting or whether it comes from his uh, collaborators that he, he aligns himself with. That's great. That's also a talent to surround yourself with great people is a talent. Right. But I think that there's just, it's just a a wall of noise in general. So I think it's, it will be probably the hardest film of his for me to, to genuinely adore. Um, And it will be probably the hardest film of his to come back to, even though, there's 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 moments in in here that we'll just go and get into i think in the top threes and bottom threes anyway um uh, that are just well let's just say worth talking about but in general i think 1941 is is a it's more of a dud and a horse apple than it is a gem and i'll just leave it at that um i've said pretty much everything i
0: need to say i like your analogy about films being children and all i'll say is that i'm very pro-choice so that's all i have to say about this film <laughs> some of these
1: children should have been swallowed at conception <laughs>
3: uh,
1: yes. gonna, uh, go on nick go on
3: oh sorry um yes yeah, St- steven spielberg to work really really well he needs a tight script he needs focus he needs to know what he's doing and even then like i know we we destroyed spielberg and this film throughout this entire podcast but i do think there's good craft behind it in terms of like like the only thing that's really horrible for me it's the comedy, the timing of some of the comedy, practical jokes and all that. But generally speaking, like we didn't mention it, but like the John Williams score is fantastic in this one, as always. Um, Cinematography, even though there's weird, like haze gel effect, I don't really know what they did with that over like a lot of the shots, a lot of the sequences. But it's generally really, really well shot. And it's clearly spelled out weirdly enough in some moments in some of the cuts that are used. Um, the continuity that how, how some scenes like flow one from the other. I would say that the last third of the film is way better than anything that comes before because at least something's happening, and there's good set pieces. Again, I didn't care about anything that was going on, but at least it wasn't like incompetent in that sense. Um, it's a wasted potential, like wasted potential, wasted cast. We mentioned the performances of like the Saturday Night Live people. I think the best actors in this are the proper actors. Like when Warren Oates com- came on screen, I was like, oh, Warren Oates, oh, he's gone. Okay, like two minutes of screen time. And they all steal the show for me. So I, I think a-, a better script, like, a- honestly, like an actual script at this point, a proper decent script for beginning, middle and end, likable characters. And just using the cast to the full potential, this could have been a fantastic, iconic action comedy. Instead, it was just the second to last nail in the coffin before
2: Heaven's Gate for New Hollywood. I think the thing about the best satires is, is that they have strong wordplay and they have strong scripts. And I don't think Nineteen Forty-One quite gets over the hurdle. It relies a lot on slapstick and visual comedy, and I I, I don't really know. What a satire that really does that you know you've got dr strange love and he's riding the nuclear warhead down waving his cowboy hat yes but that's one scene out of you know several 1941 it relies on sort of the the realization that you've recognized someone you know sydney lassik's in there samuel fuller james khan mickey rock they're all in there. it's like oh that's them from this satire needs to have some sort of direction i don't think 1941 has sort of a streamlined direction as to what it wants to satirize because there's a lot of stuff in that's pearl harbor zoot riots the actual effect of patriotism in the 1940s there's a lot going on and there's not really any focus on any of it so i can appreciate that he's trying to comment on all of this but what happens is it sort of just blurs together and it everything's sort of fighting one another to get some sort of attention or some sort of screen time and it again it's down to all the subplots and no real focus in the narrative i think there are really good ideas here that had it been the right time and had it been the right script then it would have been so much better i think it would have worked quite quite well if dan akra just sort of turned the camera and like just pulled crystal head vodka out and just winked that'd be great i'd love that it'd be fantastic obviously a bit ahead of his time but if he just sort of went there are crystals in this vodka that will save America. And then he just winks, really like just a, a ding sound effect. And like there's a little light in his eye and he goes ding. Perfect. End the movie there. And it's just a freeze frame of Ackroyd with the crystal head vodka. And then the it can be just a newspaper splash. World peace declared. Crystal vodka solves. Perfect. That's the type of satire it's, that it needs. It's not thrown in John Candy and John Belushi and Dan Acker and all his SNL alumni is only going to get you so far and it sets a precedent for what the comedy will experience. Because SNL at the time was a lot of sort of, you know, sort of, uh, what's the word for it? Kind of just, you know, mate having a laugh. And I don't think Spielberg fits into that. Not quite.
4: I think this film's an abomination on, on multiple levels. I think visually, it's, it's tired thematically. It doesn't know what comedy is. It doesn't know what satire is. It doesn't know what spoof is. Um, all around it's just tired um and, and if a film is made in a tired lens then its audience is tired it has no reason to be the running time it, it has it has no reason to to not have the narrative it has it has no reason to sort of ruin its cast members and its performances alike that this film has it is the staple of issues that Spielberg will will later face without acknowledging it. the fact that he, he he refuses to sort of evolve himself and go forward in the different craft or sort of analyze himself in the same craft, but evolve it is a, is a clear identifier that he just doesn't have anything else in his locker. And this is it. It's just absolute babble on babble that has no direction. So on one way, I, I I feel that we're sort of grateful. We don't have to have another 1941 on our hands, but in the same breath, I think I would prefer to have one to see Spielberg really test the waters You know, I look at a filmmaker like Clint Eastwood, and I I, you think about the the the, the sort of thematic political edge he has as a director. But you look at something fifteen seventeen to Paris, as as bad as that film may be in the in the in the eye of the beholder, there's still an experiment of of casting the real life uh, protagonist in that role. There's even at the age of what eighty eight or eighty nine, he's still pushing the butt of what he sees uh, to be believed and. I think that when you look at something everywhere, which, which uh, everywhere but loose, I think there's a there's an actor there who's not necessarily bond, bonded with ego, and, and, he, and he's a detractor from it. Yeah, but I think that as a as a as a filmmaker, someone in that cinematic palette, that he he's a he's an icon that isn't afraid to push the boundaries, for good or for bad, he still pushes them. And when I look at Spielberg, I just think that this is a man that has been on a pedestal for far too long and has been in- encapsulated to stardom on a, on a back of sizable profits and sizable marketing that I think if he was ever to sort of showcase his true colours on Original proprietor, I think that he, it severely dent the expectations of his audience. And sometimes as a filmmaker, you need that, but I don't think he's ever going to do it. But overall, this is a disaster. It's a fucking horrific film to watch. It, it's It's two and a half hours of just pure boredom on screen with two icons of comedy, with two international icons of cinema being Christopher Fillion, uh, Tashiro, Mif- Mif- Mifune. like to, to, to waste four people in two different uh, genre pieces is probably a crime of, of, of cinematic, cinematic proportion. So he's a very lucky boy to get away with this. Uh, but in the same breath, and not to be oxymoronic, I would like him to sort of push the boundaries once again. But I don't think we ever will. If PSG, if PSG, if BFG is in pushing his boundaries, then I think he might be fucked.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, that was a powerful sort of takedown. So I think we kind of have a more of a more more or less of a consensus. I think 1941 is not. Gem <laughs> in 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 any shape or form. I mean, I, I know I, I think I understand. I think I can understand how it has a cult following, and then you know, like because there's there's bits of it that I can gel with. But um, so with that in mind, I, I'm really looking forward to Jack's top three because <laughs> that that must have been a challenge to pick up these three things that, that are not a total shit shit show. So I don't know who wants to go first with top three moments and or, or aspects of 1941.
3: Okay, so top three best moments, starting with number three. It's actually like a mixture of things, but whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the whole like submarine of Japanese people with Christopher Lee and Toshiro Mifune. For some reason, I just love it. I love that it's more deadpan than anything. I love the enthusiasm every time they say Hollywood. It's like, yeah, they're so happy. They're so happy that everything is Hollywood for them. And this sequence, which I'm going to talk in the words about other things, but the only good I would say sequence that is present in the director's cut is an alternate kidnapping of Holly's Wood, whatever the guy's name was. Olympic because in yeah, because in the theatrical cut is just kidnapped on a beach, right? If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. something like that. But in the director's cut it's a whole like three, four minute sequence where basically they have ninja Japanese people dressed as Christmas trees running in a field and stopping and like Holly arrives and is like, oh, these trees came out of nowhere and he tries to cut them down but like one of them falls over before he's cutting another one jumps while he's trying to cut them down and I was like, you know what? I like this. I think this works. This is like one of the only moments of like slapstick that actually worked for me. So since all three are connected, it's like one point. Second point is just as I said before, like the mayhem at the end—just money burning on screen, planes crashing, models, actors, hundreds of extras, a car chase, the sub—like submar- the submarine coming out and the house blowing up, like everything of that. I'm here for excess. I like excess when it's not like this because it's just like no fucks given, just, oh, we're just doing everything here. And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not, why not? Um, and lastly, this, the scene that I do think is generally great in this movie, I was watching it and just, I, I felt alive because I was falling asleep. I had to watch this in two sittings, by the way, because I did actually fall asleep at one point. My father too, which is not a good sign. Um, it's the jitterbug contest. I think the jitterbug contest when the guy is trying to like this dishwasher guy is trying to dance with the girl he likes while also dodging the attacks of the soldier who's infatuated with the girl. I think that's like excellent choreography, use of music, use of camera work, editing. I think that's when like that's when he saw Spielberg. That's like, yes, he's doing his thing. It's well crafted, it's thought out, it's exciting. It's fun. There's action. There's comedy that actually made me laugh. That's that's easily my favorite part of the whole film.
1: Awesome. Who's next? I'll Who go. I'll be really quick here. I'm go not.
2: I'm,
4: I don't want to be pressed on that. So you're gonna get what you're gonna get. Christopher Lee, number one. Miffy Unit, number two. And when it ended, number three. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> just... okay. I'm not gonna press you on this. Normally, I would I would ask for specifics, but I think like, hearing, having heard. How much you detest this? I'm not going to push on, pu- pu- push back on this. See, this is me being a, f- a good friend.
2: <laughs> uh, um, you won. I'll I'll agree with Niccolo number three. The, the ninja trees. It's just kind of the the wordless bit of it and the confusion on the guy's face as he's trying to cut trees and then they get back up and he, it's just the fact that he doesn't question it and he just moves on. Um, number two, uh, the diner opening at the very start of the film. Well, not the start, but sort of a bit in when. They're cooking breakfast and it's kind of just satirizing the whole wholesome diner joint, and they're throwing pancake mixture and cracking eggs on. It's just, it's that bizarre quality to it that I've always liked in comedy where it's, this is excess and it's fantastic. But I think the, the best. It's excess. Oh, Something? God. <laughs> the best scene in the film for me was uh, the introduction of John Belushi's character when he's on the plane and he, and he cracks a Coca Cola bottle off the side of his plane downs it and just starts growling it was just bizarre it was fantastic and i think that's sort of where that snl sort of influence works when there is no dialogue to sort of stop you
1: know? also a side note the um uh the uh, the petrol station that he blows up That's the same petrol station that uh from duel oh just an- another sort of self indulgence self-indulgence spielberg reference just wanted to say that anyway <laughs>
0: All the great moments to talk about. Man, it's hard to even describe. Um, I think, number one, I like the Jaws opening. I know some people dislike it. I think, like, to have the ability to make something that iconic and that, like, prestigious within cinema and then just shit on it and use it for a throwaway gag about a naked woman getting picked up by a submarine. Like, I'm sorry, say what you want about Spielberg. That is amazing. Good on you. Good on you. Um, Yeah, huge fan of that scene. Mm -hmm. Other puts I like, I like when they drop the bomb. I think like little moments like that of wittiness is funny. And I like when they put the big gun in the lawn. And I guess actually for a fourth, just to give the film an extra bone, like Jack said, when it ended, that was a great feeling.
1: It was a great feeling when they went to credits. (laughs) By the way, I I don't know. Uh, The the Jaws woman, same woman, by the way. So, you know. (laughs) Great. That's amazing. I like the fact that she. Same actress to to redo the same scenes. Gilbert (laughs) called her up and
0: said, "I know last time we had you viciously get tore apart by a shark. Now I want you naked on a submarine and dangling
1: on a pole. That's good." (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, I mean. I'll I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I mean, I I picked out just f- f- moments I found really funny because like there is nothing else in this film, there's just gags, right? <laughs> so so I'll just say General Stillwells when he won- when when he's what like knowing who he was, as in a tough guy that he was, when he's watching Dumbo and mouthing the dialogue as it goes, I'm like it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, the entire sequence when they kidnap Holly's Wood and then he swallows a compass. And then because they know their compass is, is faulty, so they they find that it has like a toy compass, and he swallows it, and they give him they waterboard him with prune juice to make him go and have a shit, and then then Christopher Lee says to him in perfect German, like Sie müssen weiter scheißen, nah, das ist ein Befehl, like you know, like this is just brilliant, <laughs> and and then and then it goes into this sort of dumb and dumber sort of moment when he's just making sounds and he's throwing shoes at the toilet and the Japanese guys are like oh he's having a shit it's just I don't know like n- n- just bizarre but I, I just I, I found it so hilarious um like another little moment <laughs> I actually have four uh, because well, another little moment I have <laughs> I don't know why I found it funny I think I know why but you know like when when the I can't remember what the guys name is is it Berghead? or I don't know he's like there's this like mad guy who's like the, the sort of like the Peter Sellers of this film um, uh, when they're trying to say oh maybe he's like a Japanese infiltrator maybe he's a spy like a ninja spy and then he's like oh yeah maybe he is check him for stilts oh <laughs> <I'm> like Jesus <laughs> that's that's a very sort of <clears throat> weirdly racist joke anyway and then just it's not a particular scene, but this whole running gag of having John Belushi whenever he falls making a squeaky sound because he has a he has a doll in his pocket that makes a squeaky sound is just hilarious. <laughs> to see so these are my of Top, let's just say top four moments, because you know, which which kind of stand. I mean, the the, the the bomb dropping moment would be kind of there, but I kind of wanted to just uh, add add some something else on top of that. Anyway, so bottom three, that's going to be way easier. I'm going to put in the top. So, uh, Nico, let's let's try and preserve the order of, of of proceedings. Bottom three.
3: Bottom three is just a general thing. I think the female characters are absolute garbage in this film. The way they're treated, the way they act, they're either like fetishistic, sex-crazed maniacs or pretty dolls, not even dumb. They're just like non-existent personalities. They do absolutely nothing. Um, Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, The the love triangle. Second thing, the love triangle. Dishwasher, the girl, and the soldier. Oh, my God. They are they they don't have, they're like midway through the top billing whatever list of actors in the film, and I think they have the most screen time. If they don't, it just feels like it, because it never ends. And you guys watch the theatrical cut, there's like, and actually this ties into my number one, which is the deleted scenes. Most of them should have stayed deleted, honestly, outside of the ninja Christmas trees, because oh my god, especially in the beginning, there's two scenes that last almost almost 10 minutes with the girl and the dishwasher guy because he's, he goes into a store and he's trying to get a, some clothing for the dance. And uh, he has this point where he's like a narrate siren and it makes it blow and everyone screams like, oh my God, oh, the bombs are coming. Just no, no, it's terrible. It's other moments just drag with the pacing with those scenes. And again, my father loves this movie he's only seen it before in the theatrical cut and he was like yeah they should have stayed deleted terrible 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 choices here
1: in the dc um just a, just a follow-up question is your dad going to listen to the show no <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, uh jack do you want to go bottom three just you know, keep it keep it down to three <laughs> okay i'll give down to three um <laughs> No, no. no still do five, play, if I'm, you
4: gonna, want. I'm gonna keep this brief as well because I feel like I've spoke about this a lot. But the screenplay is horrific. throughout. it's never funner, It's never got sort of any nuance to it. It doesn't have layers. Uh, it's flat. It's boring. It's tiresome. Um, God, oh, it's gonna be a tough one. Um, oh, you love I, I this just, film. I, think, <laughs> I
1: think, I think <laughs> nothing bad to say. To like,
4: I, I think certain points of this is like I'm trying to repress it, so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm constantly having like an issue I'm thinking about it when I, I honestly do it. Um, I, I, I really don't like the direction from D- Spielberg as well I think it's really sort of unearthly and flat it, it, it's weird he it's, it has like a use of camera here just feels um, almost like um, someone who, who's, who's fleshing out a, a fledging career rather than someone who's five films deep who's made two arguably um, tremendous uh, films in the zeitgeist already and third um, I don't like John Williams' score
1: I mean, I think I have an agreement. I didn't want to mention this myself, but I think I'm glad someone actually... Because I think, Nicola, you love this. But uh, to me, the John Williams' score is basically a spoof of Jaws in the beginning and one theme. And
2: it's
1: apparently good, this is this is like theme. one theme that Spielberg loves, apparently.
4: To be fair, it's, it's in uh, it's it, it's in context overall. Film, drab, underwhelming, <laughs> shodder. I mean, to be fair, it's, it's on brand, so don't blame Williams. It's just, it, it's just all, all manners of sort of... The cinematic quality here is just... Under underwhelmed, underwhelming. Hmm. Sorry, it's just constant undermined by each other. It's, 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 to pick three is a very difficult task, but I think just the actual quality of, of each sort of um, cinematic element or filmmaking element it's not here, I and mean, those are the basis of what you need to get right. It's it's it just flounders.
1: Okay, um, who's next? Is it you? Do you want to go? Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I think yeah. Just to lead off of what Jack was saying, it's very flat. the 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 editing especially is very bloated especially the director's cut which like nicola was saying adds a lot of deleted scenes and it's sort of just throwing everything in there it's i imagine the theatrical cut was fairly bloated an extra half hour on top of that just it's incredibly lengthy for it, it very minimal material um i'd say the lack of plot cohesion Really didn't help things along. Having so many different characters at so many different stages, it really doesn't help. And I don't think the payoff's all that there. Um, but I think the worst part of the film, just all of it, just if you take into account Spielberg's lack of motivation, if you take into account the SNL cast, if you take into account the writing, it's the Zoot Suits. I have no respect for Zoot Suits. I just they're unfathomably terrible. And especially that the use so pro, pro, prominently in 1941 is disgraceful. It's an act of immorality if you use zoot suits in any context, especially this. It's ridiculous. I no, no.
1: Well, uh Wowie. Uh Carson, your turn.
0: That feels like a rather complex take. Um, <laughs> this yeah, this movie's not good. I'll say number one, y'all are crazy about the diner scene, liking that scene. I forgot like why I disliked that scene so much until you brought it up, Ewan. The whole like making the breakfast and everything is spilling on top of each other, like genuinely gave me anxiety and i genuinely was just like i can't do this stop like make eggs correctly what are you doing it's funny because um, that's how like i that. cook well
2: do you like <laughs> eggshells <laughs> it's not that i like them it's just a matter of they always get in there you have to get good for used calcium to it. <laughs> i guess
0: good sources some vitamins um i just like that and then i guess my last point will be like a blending of two i just don't really appreciate like you know how racist and sexist this film is in general like not to be like oh super PC but like you know it is definitely problematic in a lot of ways I mean even just in concept of trying to like parody in this sense like this era in American history when like this very mindset he's parodying led to like literally the atomic bombings of two civilian cities and like you know countless like horrific deaths I just watched Barefoot Jen or Gen. I don't know how it's pronounced but like it's really hard to go from that to being like lol look how stupid the Americans are so like i don't know i think i I would appreciate this film wasn't as problematic
1: but yeah that's probably my main issues with it it's interesting you mentioned how problematic it is because like we often kind of bring this up right as in like well yeah well especially with like older films like yeah i think when you think about this at the time i mean yeah maybe yeah but now it's problematic this thing this thing was problematic in 1979 like holy shit man but uh but then Okay, so to add to, to your points, because I'm, I, I'm because it's all it's all valid. I'm like it would have been on the extended list of three bottom three, because it's so easy to pick pick just horrible things from there. But I just wanted to kind of pick the theme of overstaying its welcome. And then have like just it's more or less like all three of mine sort of bottom three are kind of going a- along the same lines. Like with John Belushi's shtick wears off after like 15 minutes, like he's just loud. And, and after a while, he just stops being funny. And I'm like, okay, well, if this is supposed to be a comedy and this is an SNL fucking superstar, like, he's not working for me. Like, I don't know why, but he's not working. So, the, and um, also, like, the finale of the film um, and the canon demolishing the house. Like, this, it takes, like, 15 minutes of it just going through the house, in and out, in and out. And at some point, it, like, it, you could show, it shows that Spielberg does not have a comedic timing, that he doesn't know where, you know, where, where the joke, where the joke has a pun. And he's kind of, he's going and on and on and on. I'm like, fucking Steve, you said, you, t- you told your jokes. Sit down. Fucking hell. Same goes for like the USO brawl. It just goes on and on and on. After a while, like first few minutes it's like, oh, that's funny because he's trying to have a date while, while, while avoiding being punched. But after like 15 minutes of this is fucking no, n- not good. And then also the two dudes at the Ferris wheel just, I, I don't know. Like it doesn't work like at all almost completely however i'll have to say that i wanted to give a brief shout out to eddie deason the guy in the glasses because i really remember i always remember him as one of the few standout moments from war games from 1982 three he was like the nerdy guy in there he's just a hilarious presence in general but he has nothing to do in there so i have a feeling that maybe this will be a controversial take the the, the top three or top four moments i I personally picked kind of just bring this film to like two and a half out of five. This is just barely mediocre for me, but I have a feeling that maybe with some editing and maybe some care, tender love and care, there's an 80 minute film in here that would probably bring this up to us or a sort of positive review for me. I don't know where you guys stand. Just to, before we kind of close, I don't know, yay or nay on this? Is there an 80 minute film in here that's kind of worth that's, watching?
4: That, you are so fucking like honestly, like.
1: At, this is a, just a, under a mediocre film for two and a half stars well, this will be a two and a half stars because I have... Do you, want, do you want me to list my top three again? I cannot, no, I don't. I, I, don't. I, I, I just I don't just think that. Just. I had a bunch of laughs looking at these fucking spoofs. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> Toshiro Mifune is just like... He has, he's a comedic actor and then he's just, you know, he saves... Oh, he almost saves this film single-handedly.
0: Jack, you've missed so much on this podcast. You missed the Congo episode. You've missed... This is not no, I I, This I, is I, normal. I just this, this, could be,
1: this could have been my, my, my film if it wasn't so fucking long and boring. Like... <laughs> Yeah, for for like four scenes alone, this would have been almost worth my time, but it's not.
3: Yeah, I think a, this could be like a good fan edit project for someone to do. Just like t- try to make it 80 minutes long, remove all of the unnecessary fodder, just like two hours of content, <laughs> pays better some of the jokes, like you that's said, like the a, house one. It's so like a task Jesus. you
0: give to like prisoners. Like it's you know it's it's not as really grueling really as physically then exactly. moving rocks from one side of the yard <laughs> to the other and then back and forth. But it's just like meaningless. You'll never accomplish it. No, there's not an 80 minute feature. It's just shit. There's no five minute. The best moments outstay their welcome within three minutes. You have three minutes of like good content here and there, but that's it. It's not good. <laughs> no, the answer is just no. <laughs>
2: I mean, oh, okay. I, uh, you don't need to cut anything. I think if you had Dan Aykroyd just in every role, it'd work. If if Ooh. he was acting alongside himself, perfect. You'd be you'd be ready to go. Oh, right. I like this
1: idea. No, it's just like because I don't know. I grew up watching like films like Top Secret or Police, like Naked Gun. Like this this could have had the same energy if people knew where to end their jokes.
2: It has those moments, like the diner scene, where it does work. It's got that slapstick nicety to it, but I yes. don't think it has the sort of.
1: It's just covered by a metric ton of unneeded yeah. shit.
0: <laughs> it's a nerd being bullied by the SNL people, and he's like trying to be cool and directing this comedy, but he doesn't actually—he's not actually funny, so he doesn't understand it. So he just cannot
1: control the SNL people. And he's it's just almost being kind bullied. of sad when you think about this. When you when you when you put it that way, <laughs> it's like a, a, a nerdy, insecure guy being kind of just shouted down by by these sort of raunchy guys from SNL. Um, anyway. So this is this is it. Let's just call it a day. 1941 is available to rent or buy from the usual suspects. So it doesn't seem to be available to stream. I don't think. I don't know. Do you guys have any other opinions? I don't think it is. So, but please check where you live just in case if you really want to stream it from somewhere. Maybe Netflix has it in like Bulgaria. I don't know. Thankfully, it is also widely available on physical media, both as a standalone release and as a part of uh, the uh, Spielberg box set uh, from a few years back. So if you want to get your hands on this, there's ample opportunity to do so. And if you get a box set, you'll get quite a few actually genuinely good, good features as well, like Jaws. Um, so I think this is it for this episode of uh, the Uncut Gems podcast. Where can we find you all on social media? And then where can we also find your work? Uh, Ewan, how about you go first?
2: Uh, i'm on twitter at you and you can find my work on clapper obviously and cult following northern lights geek show i think that's it yeah i'll do
1: cool uh nicolo where can we find your stuff
3: you can follow me on twitter at nickygrann97 and you can follow me on Letterboxd at nicolograsso grasso and you can watch my short films and video essays on youtube and vimeo at
1: enjoy the movies fabulous uh jack where can we find your stuff
4: you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd with the username at Jack Luke Sharp.
0: Okie okay, dokie. And Carson? You can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. My reviews on Clapper, Buttered Popcorn, and Filmotomy.
1: Awesome. And you can find me at Talk About Film on Twitter and at yeah, Jakob Flash on Letterboxd. You can also read uh, my stuff on Clapper and Clapper and on uh, FlashOnFilm.com. And also, I know Jack's very shy. Jack's also the editor-in-chief of Clapper. So, you know, you can find his shit in there. (laughs) So so go and check this out. Uh, um, www.clapperltd.co.uk It's the address. So you can also follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at Uncut Gems Pod. So make sure to follow, like, and retweet our stuff because it helps us develop our audience. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can also send us an email at uncutgemspod at gmail.com. So if you want to sound off about 1941, steven spielberg or anything that we've covered um, this is how you do it um and you can also support the show at ko-fi.com by buying us a, a coffee. Uh, that's coffee that's ko-fi.com slash uncut gems pod uh, with a, so that's for a one-off donation if you want to buy us a um, uh, quote-unquote a coffee uh, and that will h- help us keep the lights on and also if you want if you enjoy our, our shtick then you can also uh, subscribe to our um, new Patreon channel over at patreon.com slash Ltd, where we will pedal at least two podcasts per month of extra stuff for you, especially for you. Um, at least one Clapper debate and at least one classic Clappercast. And by the way, you should also check out Clappercast, which is at Clapperpodcast on, uh, on Twitter, where Carson runs an um, absolute amazing show about... Um, newest releases and then keeping tabs on what's happening in the world of cinema as it is um so so go and check this out go and subscribe to our patreon for 2 bucks a month you'll get two podcasts so buck per show not too much but helps us a lot and it helps also pay the bills and then give uh young and amazing writers an opportunity to develop their voices and be heard as, um, as as film critics and and you know um and amazing writers so go and do that And then also be sure to tune in next week when we will be taking a train to Actionville as we are going to discuss the Runaway Train directed by Andrei Konchalovsky in a double bill with Tony Scott's final movie, Unstoppable. Don't miss the train. But for now, I hope you have a fabulous day and I will see you next week. Bye-bye. When I was muted, I farted so loud that, uh, that Zoom said, Do you want me to unmute you? <laughs> <laughs>
4: great.